Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes. Back at it again here on a Wednesday night for your Thursday morning delivery. Hey, look, before we get the show started, by the time most of you download the show, it's our—it's going to be our dad's birthday. So we're going to wish him an early happy birthday since we don't do the show tomorrow and there won't be a chance to do it then. But again, when you're listening to us, it's a, a lot of you have met our dad. I know some of you are like, just get on with the show. But no, a lot of you have met our dad, and you say nice things about him, and you tell us to wish him a happy birthday, so we're sharing that with you. Okay, on today's show, we'll obviously talk about all the latest news in mixed martial arts. I'm, com- I'm going to come at some fighters, some big-name fighters. There's some news out there. I'm getting upset. George is getting upset. And, uh, of course, we have a little preview of the action going on this weekend, the UFC with Strickland and Abus, Michael Madoff. In the main event at a UFC fight night here in Las Vegas. Uh, also, Rob Font will join us. UFC Bantamweight. Huge, huge win he had a few months ago in Miami against Adrian Yanez. And then a special treat. This is going to be a long show, folks. When you download, you're going to be like, wait a minute. It took a little extra longer than usual. I sat down with Sean Sheehan from uh, SureDog, from YouTube. A lot of you have seen him. Very popular fella on Twitter as well, but very well worse, worse, excuse me, when it comes to uh, MMA judging and refing, and uh, we sat down a few weeks ago, so apologies for getting to this to you a little late. A lot of it's evergreen, but some of it will be relevant to a few weeks ago, but I think it'll be a fun chat about us discussing the latest in regulations, so anyway, buckle up, it's going to be a long one. It's MMA Junkie Radio on a thir- on a Wednesday night for your Thursday morning delivery. All right, so it goes, you know, right before we get the show started, I try and peruse MMA Junkie and see what the latest is, right? Hoping for a nice matchup. Or, well, actually, there is a nice matchup. Grasso versus Fischenko is official September 16th here in Las Vegas. Here's the thing, though. It's not a pay-per-view. It's a title fight, but it's not a pay-per-view. It's just going to be, I guess, uh, a fight night. Now, September 16th has a, um, a it's a big day for Mexico. It's Mexican Independence Day. And it's a big day for combat sports, especially in boxing. And so I'm really happy that the UFC decided to rally around this date and around their Mexican-born fighter, Alexa Grasso, who's going to defend her belt against Valentina Shevchenko. Now, right about then, I should just shut up and move on, right? No, I can't do it. Because at the same time, she won this thing in March. Who didn't look at the calendar and just, you know, maybe look and see if, the 16th fell on a day where you could possibly feature her in Mexico, maybe along with the others, like Marino and Rodriguez or whatever. And 
that obviously did not happen because you know that those other guys are fighting next week. But the 16th is a Saturday. Like, there's no arena goes in Mexico where this could be a uh, pay-per-view or just a bigger fight than a fight night at the Apex. I have to imagine there's got to be a reason because all this is just so out there and easy to really comment on that I can't imagine the UFC going, why didn't we think of that? Like, there's got to be something. Because it's a slam dunk. It really is. So you know how they have their problems with Hawaii and, you know, little things that a lot of people don't know about with the tourist community or, or committee, all that. Maybe there's something of that sort going on over there. Who knows, a governmental thing. Because it just makes too much sense. I, I don't know why they're not doing that. It's like you work. You work up all these fighters and you hope they get into a position so that you can cash in in this fashion. And now when you have it, you don't pull that card. It's weird. Yeah. I still think, I don't know if you're, I don't know if you're giving them a pass, but I just, I'm thinking this through, right? Yair won his belt in February, the interim belt, the same night that Makashev defended against Volk, Yair beat Josh Emmett. That was February. And then what Marino defeated Davison Figueredo in Brazil in January. So I'm kind of being kind that, oh, well, this only happened since Grasso was champ, you know, in March when she beat Valentina. Really, since January, I don't understand why all of 2023 and arena just isn't available. Hell, there's, dude, there's five or six arenas in Las Vegas alone that can seat 10,000 people. And I shouldn't just jump and assume that this damn thing's going to be at the Apex. I think it's going to be at the Apex, but I guess it could be at Mandalay Bay, Orleans, MGM, Thomas and Mac. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to be at T-Mobile because uh, it, it doesn't appear that way. Otherwise, we'd go the route of calling it a pay-per-view. And for those that say, well, they're having a pay-per-view in, in September already. Well, we had two in March. So what's so unusual about that? We've had two in July recently. So what's so unusual about that? Like, there's just no, there, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like they blew it is all I'm trying to say. Um, in all of 2023, they just couldn't find an arena in Monterey, Mexico City, Guadalajara, Tijuana, for crying out loud, somewhere. But it's got to be something, right? It can't be incompetence. Um, they love to make money. They've been there before. There's got to be some kind of reason. We just don't know what. It can't be them just overlooking it. There's been times when Dana White will do a press conference and just kind of like, hmm. I hadn't thought of that type vibe uh, towards something that's asked of him. But you say incompetence, or I mean, Bellator beat them to France. Bellator has beaten them to Hawaii in the sense that the UFC still hasn't gone. And again, okay, they were thinking of a stadium show at the time, but look, just give us something. Um, the Blaisdell Arena or that arena at the University of Hawaii, which is even bigger. Whatever the commission is saying, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's a money thing or what, but God damn, how is it that in Abu Dhabi they actually build an arena like in two weeks? You know what I mean? Though they, they seem to figure out a lot of things, but then a few things just get the, the ball gets dropped. I don't know. And, I, and frankly, I don't have enough time 
or nor do I care enough to see the events um, in every arena in, in, in Mexico just to see if this is possible. I know there's been boxing in Cancun. There's probably a few other cities that I'm leaving out. But, yeah, I mean, they've been to Mexico before. They've been to Monterey once and in Mexico City a few times. But this is just bizarre to me, man. It's, it, uh, it's look, the fight's made. It's going to be fun. But, dude, if it's at the apex, you can't compare that to the, the shit we've seen in boxing on September 16th over the years. Well, I always say, like, if you can't do L.A., or, I mean, sorry, if you can't do Mexico, then you have to pick one of these cities that have kind of a big Latino community where thank you, you go to exactly. Orange, Orange County, Los Angeles, even like San Antonio, like certain places like that where I feel like, okay, well, that's kind of how you make it up a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, if it is an apex card, that's a little weak sauce, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, I feel bad for Grasso to tell you the truth that that's where her first title defense will be. Um, but that's kind of like, I guess, some big news. And and moving on to other types of news, the other day we had a nice chat with Grant Dawson. I'm thinking, I really like that guy. And I still do. But did you see the comments you made today about PFL? Mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of people have uh, similar takes. And you know what I think it is, George? Honestly, I think it's they just didn't go back and watch that fight. Because to me, if you go back and you watch that fight, there is no way you can make a case for those guys. They didn't fight each other. I'm sorry. They just didn't. I got to call time for a second. A page that I had clicked earlier just popped up. And guess what? You are more than in your rights to walk downstairs and put a pie in my face. Uh, it is expected to be take place at the Team Mobile Arena. MMA Junkie confirmed the booking with the sh- uh, first brought on by the Schmo. Okay, well, that changes things. Now, whether it's a pay-per-view or not, I don't care. I mean, if it is, all right, cool. And if it isn't, I just want a, a full stadium, and I want them to replicate what we've seen in the past with boxing. And I think this is pretty cool. You know, I don't know if this is the headliner or what, but um, it appears Team Mobile might be in play. Okay, now the ball's rolling a little bit. But I like what you said better. Houston, L.A., like it still feels like it's uh, – unless there's more Latino fighters coming, especially some Mexican ones, I don't don't know if this is enough. But, uh, yeah, I I, I like what you're saying was there's other – there's plenty of other cities that can where it can work if we're not going to match what boxing did in this city. In this city, September 16th has been epic for the last 25, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And she deserves that. You know, that was a very, very big win. And I think she deserves to kind of have a little bit of a home field advantage in a rematch. But I don't know. I, would, I, I think Orange County doesn't get enough cards. I think LA doesn't get enough cards. They're they're massive markets. Yeah. Chavez, De La Hoya, Floyd, Canelo. I mean, there has been folks, there's been some great ones, man, on September 16th here in Vegas. So I, I hope they can match it or come close. Okay. So Grant Dawson, we're we're going back to that. You think a lot of it has to do with people who haven't seen the fight. But here's what I'm getting at with Grant. Look what he says. I read the article. It says 
that's a boycott PFL situation when he was asked about this. Now, these are his teammates, Schulte and Manfield. And he says, that makes no sense. There are two former world champions, two former tournament winners. For, so for them to fight, not even in the tournament, it makes no sense. Um, that that doesn't mean anything. Why, why should two former world champions or two former tournament winners not even fight in the tournament? Like, he what he should have said was, these guys are like brothers. Maybe that's a reason for them to not. But you can't say two former champions shouldn't collide why shouldn't two former champions collide in uh for a title like I, so okay so then he says i think there were some politics that went behind it i don't know the whole story well yeah it appears so i think there were some politics that went behind it so so far i'm reading and i'm thinking grant where's the part where you start to make sense he continues they matched those two up and we're hoping that some type of controversy would happen so they could slip shane virgos into the tournament again super happy for shane love that dude but i think it was that kind of situation, I'm really bummed for Natan. Like, what in there explained anything? I mean, I don't think the PFL put these two in there, prayed that they would have a shitty fight just so Shane could get in. What they probably were hoping, if they wanted Shane to really be in, is for Shane to just finish the guy in the first round or the second round and make it even easier for him to get in. Shane kind of dropped the ball there. But what kind of reasoning was that? What kind of logic was that? I don't understand it. I think what it is is it's um, it's just threatening to fighters. You know, if this happens one time, what's to stop them from doing it again and and that type of thing? I think that's what kind of uh, gets fighters fired up, managers a little bit fired up. But honestly, dude, if you go back and you watch that fight, like, what would you do if if that was your situation? You pay out all this money for people to go out and fight, and they just don't do it. I honestly don't, I don't, I, I think it's a huge statement. I think they're taking a huge risk, but I, but I kind of, in a way, almost even applaud them for, for kind of having the nuts to say, Hey, this was wrong. What they did is wrong. And we're never going to let somebody do that again. Now, I are, with the PFL on this one. And now could you throw a drink in their face and go, well, you probably shouldn't have booked this fight. Maybe, but a lot of people have been in that situation before and they've made it happen too. But I'm sure the way they performed, like Grant is saying, maybe politics, uh, I'm sure they did put up some kind of resistance that may have told you something like this could be coming. So in that case, yeah, maybe I can fault the PFL a little bit if they were like stubborn. But uh, I kind of uh, I kind of think they're in the right here. PFL. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I've thought this one over for the whole week, and I just don't really see anything other than if those two came and told the PFL, we don't want to fight. Um, we don't even expect this to be much of a fight because we're just not going to sock each other. If there was something that showed me that that happened, then this is on the PFL for being dumb enough to book it after two guys explicitly say that. Except I don't think two guys explicitly said that. I don't think they'd be dumb enough to, to, to say that they that they couldn't do it, other than to say, I don't feel comfortable fighting my guy. But then when they push back and say, well, that's the way it's going down, then you either got to accept it or not. But to do that and dance around and not fight? No. Yeah, we can't have that in MMA. I'm sorry. Um, mm -hmm. If this bothers you so much, you shouldn't even be in the same situation. And so, like I was saying on Spinning Back Click, I think, 
you know, uh, some fighters will say, well, maybe if it was for a million dollars. Well, you know what? Okay, sure. That, to a degree, kind of makes sense, right? But then it kind of doesn't because it's kind of your job. You know, it's your job to fight, whether it's for 30 and 30, 80 and 80, or a million dollars or whatever it is that you've agreed to for that specific fight. It's your job to go over there and hurt the other person and try to finish them. And if you can't finish them, then hopefully you did enough to impress the judges. But there's no number value where, you know, where all of a sudden now we get serious, now we get down. No, no, if that's the problem, then you just can't be in the same division as this person because there's a chance you might collide, whether it's for a million dollars or not. It's, it's just wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. All right, here's, here's the next one. DC. DC... Is he, he thinks John Jones shouldn't win best MMA fighter. Now, I do agree with what he kind of said eventually, but I think more of his beef should be why was he one of the nominees? His point is that he's only beaten Cyril Gone and he had one fight and that was it. Okay, yeah. Like, for example, Leon Edwards goes, I, what, what took me so long to get the show started was I was trying to look up. ES uh, the SC awards to see what the year is that they use. And I think I did this last year as well, but I'm pretty sure it works July 1st to June 30th, somewhere around there. And um, so since last year, Leon Edwards took the title from Kamaru and then defended the title against Kamaru. That's two big wins. John Jones only had one big win where he won the title. And uh, Islam Makashev, and Amanda Nunes are the other two. Makashev, he's 2-0. He won the title in October against Oliveira, and then he defended it against Volkanovski in February. So from July 1st to June 30th, he too is um, 2-0. Those are two big wins. Two's just bigger than one. I'm sorry. Um, and John Jones is still sitting there with a the win. But here's where DC messed up. He goes, Amanda, however... He goes, then you look at Amanda losing her belt to Juliana and then winning it back. Like, he started to explain why the other fighters could win it. I'm sorry, DC, but Amanda lost the title after July 1 of last year to Juliana Pena, and then she won it. So she went 1-1. One and 1-0 one. Mm -hmm. um, is better than 1-1. One 2-0 and one. Two and is better than 1-0. and o. Like, why are you even bringing up Amanda? Who cares if she lost it to Juliana? That's a reason to not be in the running for this. At least John Jones didn't lose to Sorogon, but he points out that she lost to her, but then came back and won the belt. Well, I think he said like storyline or something like that, right? And, and I, I kind of, uh, I don't agree with that because, okay, for one, if you're gonna go 500 in a year, you just can't be in the conversation for being fighter of the year. Okay, agree. That's one thing. If you're going to bring storyline into it, well, that's part of the reason John Jones is there. Uh, we would all agree. It's only one win. It was very quick. We didn't really get to see much of him where we could say, oh, my God, he's a beast or something. like. It just happened fast. What really makes people want his name to be there is the storyline of him going up to heavyweight, him being gone for so long. Well, you know, that's part of the reason why John Jones's name is there. So if that's going to apply to Juliana Pena, uh, and or sorry, to Amanda Nunes, then it can apply to John Jones as well. Now, where I'm different is I think it should be Islam Makashev. To me, that's 
that's the more impressive thing. Uh, Oliver right. is a monster. And then, um, you know, when you look at Volkanovsky, yeah, he's a featherweight, but he's a one of the best featherweights of all time. And he put up a, a hell of a fight, and Makashev still beat him. So to me, that one's kind of clear. I think it should be him. Right. So the Edwards people would say, well, we went 2-0-2. But however, you were getting your ass kicked for four rounds, and right. then you landed the kick from hell. Now, you did beat, I think Usman was more impressive as welterweight champ than Oliveira was as lightweight champ. Not very much, mm -hmm. but we got to give him his. He hadn't lost in the right. UFC. He was on the verge of breaking Anderson Silva's record. And he was putting it on Edwards, whereas Makashev kind of just put it on Oliveira to win the title. There was no, I'm losing four rounds, now I need this head kick in the fifth to win. Mm -hmm. Now, Edwards would say, what, I beat a proper welterweight, that same one that you just gave praise to, I defended against him. True. Whereas the other guy beat someone a division lower. True. I could see it. It's, it's really, really neck and neck, but I thought Makashev, his fighting was always at high levels as he was dispatching of whoever was in front of him, whereas Leon Edwards for four rounds just wasn't getting it done. So if that one's a coin flip. I, I'd be good with either one, honestly. Um, but 2-0 and o is definitely more than 1-0. and o. But I guess what I'm getting to is this is like the second or third time I feel like Daniel is, is throwing some shade at John. Like he's still kind of not over those losses or something. He said something the other day about like, He's not pound for pound number one, or he's not the goat, or he's not the this or that. But it's like the second or third time that he's just hasn't really been recognizing John. And and the I wouldn't make such a big deal of this if he hadn't come into our studio. And when we asked him about that, we gave him that question about, well, what about the PEDs or whatever? He goes, nah, man, he beat me. He kicked my ass. He said it. He accepted it. I don't understand why years later these other feelings are coming out. Yeah, um, it's tough because seeing this a lot of times when people don't like comments from fighters, it's not that they picked up the phone and said, hey, everybody, this is what I think. It's usually a reporter asks a question and they answer it. Right. All you see is the headline or the story. Uh, but in this particular case, this is his own show. And these are topics brought up on his show. So I could see how it does seem like he is still a little bitter. And I do get that, but at the same time, I also get that those are good points. It's only one fight. I don't think he should be there too. But, um, you know, the same way fighters, you get criticism as fighters, us media, we get criticism as media. Well, now Daniel's kind of on that other side where he's a bit of media too, and he's going to get that type of critique from other people. So, uh, you just have to be willing to to go to battle if you really believe in what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I think he's got good points, but you're right. Like I, I would say in order to be entertaining, you have to be closer to the middle where you can go back and forth on each side. And if you keep hitting the well too many times on one side, then people are just going to say, well, that dude's just bitter. You know, no matter what facts we bring to him, he's just always going to hate that guy. And I wouldn't want him to get wrapped up in that. So I would say this is probably one battle he could have stayed out of. Or just, I'm telling you, just word it differently. Because the minute he brought Amanda into the into the conversation, it looked like he was a hater. He he could stand behind the stats of going, Makashev and Edwards are both 2-0. I think they should get it ahead of Jones and leave it at that. But when he started bringing Amanda into it, and I'm thinking, Amanda, that makes it even worse. Amanda went 1-1. One one. She lost. 
here, I'll look it up just to make sure. I don't want to be a dumbass. So she lost last July to Juliana. Oh no, 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 no. I take it back. She's gonna be she's gonna be one oh fucking A. I just wanna fuck it all up. She lost in December to Juliana Pena, if I got this straight. Hold on. Well, regardless, right. regardless of what the paper says, his argument was that. You know, he specifically oh, no, said right. Oh goes. He's got a point. I still have one more thing, though. One more bullet in the chamber. He's got a point. He, she, okay. I got caught up in him bringing up the Julian. She's two and zero since she lost to Juliana Pena in December two, 2021. So July thirtieth of twenty twenty two, that qualifies. June tenth, that qualifies. Two decisions. Mm -hmm. What did Makachev have? He had a finish and a decision. Well, and the other had a finish and a decision. But that wasn't uh, his comment, though. His comment in his comment, he said she lost the title and won it back. Um, yeah, I, guess granted, I think he's talking about the comeback from there. Maybe, but he, here, yeah. here was one other thing that 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 I think added to it was he goes, okay, he says. Then you look at Amanda losing her belt to Juliana and then winning it back. Sure, he, he should have said winning it back and then defending it again. Then mm -hmm. Leon Edwards doing what he did. Then he goes like this: John Jones is in there because John Jones is the biggest star. And then he goes. He's the biggest star that's holding a championship right now outside of Israel Adesanya. No, I don't think so. How's Israel Adesanya a bigger star than John Jones? John Jones is, he's the GOAT. You know, like, I mean, I don't think there's even pay-per-views out there that support that. But even then, it's not always just about pay-per-views. Dude, the guy just has never lost John Jones. Maybe he was mm -hmm. gone for three years, but he's now a champ camp who's never lost. Ain't no way Israel's a bigger star than him. Israel might be number two. I'll accept that or whoever else. Volkanovski, Islam, whatever. But there's just no one ahead of John Jones at this point. That's holding yeah. the belt, like you said. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think it's close. I think Izzy is a, a pretty polarizing person, big star. But the thing about Izzy is when he's not fighting, he somewhat goes away. And John Jones is just continuously, whether it's his mouth or whatever he's doing, He's just kind of there, you know? So, I don't know. Yeah, I think he is still kind of the bigger star. I mean, look, the one thing that we've always said is this. If you're at the UFC Expo and there's a line for autographs for John Jones and a line for autographs Israel Adesanya, somebody puts a gun to your head, what line do you think is going to be bigger? I'd probably say John Jones's line. So would I. So would I. Um, McGregor's team's down 2 nothing to... <laughs> to Chandler's team. Did you catch episode five? Yeah. It uh it was interesting. It had a little bit of drama, you know, with Brad Katona and the team and all that. You could tell Michael Chandler was getting a little upset and frustrated with him. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I did like was the interaction between the two coaches. I thought I thought um Michael Chandler actually got Connor pretty good with one line where Connor kept saying, which again, I do not agree with this, with him screaming at the judges. And it's, I feel like, uh, I feel like he can kind of influence them a little bit, but he was saying, come on, we need three rounds. We need three rounds. You know, real fights need three rounds. And then he even said, how many times have you gone five rounds to Chandler? And Chandler said, I've, I've done that plenty of times. And, but he did kind of throw one back at, at uh, Connor when he said, I didn't need, uh, all five rounds of auto in my belt or something like that. I thought that was uh, a pretty good one. Who said that? 
Michael Chandler when he said that to Connor. I didn't need all five rounds. Yeah, like you don't always need all five rounds to make to to prove oh, your point. Oh, I was gonna say McGregor didn't need five rounds to win. He, yeah. he won both of his in round one. But I think he's making the case that like you need more, and Chandler's kind of throwing in his face oh. that well, you don't okay. really. If you're good, you don't need all that. Yeah, um, I thought that was a pretty good line, and it kind of shut him up. McGregor's case should be more with the format, not with the judges. The format right. is. Two rounds, these are exhibition fights, and that's that. Um, that's always been the format, but yeah, he's misdirecting it a little bit with the judges. But you know, either way, I think if the third round doesn't do anything, because if you already, I mean, I guess the third round you could finish the guy, right? But um, yeah, anyway, it's 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 dumb. One other thing, I just want to make sure that everyone knows that okay, I, I dropped the ball on on a man in his. You know, she did have a, a two and zero year, not a one and one. But I did want to say that when I looked up Essie, it says going back to the calendar year. But the calendar year is January first to December thirty first. That would make no sense because half the year hasn't even happened yet. And I know this isn't reflective of twenty twenty two because John Jones wouldn't be up for anything because he won his fight in twenty twenty three. And that's why it reminds me of last year. I believe it's June, July one to to June 30th, and that's how it works. So if you go by what the SVs are saying, they got it all all wrong. All right, goes Rob Font, solid guy, one of my favorites. Uh, huge win over Adrian Yanez. Uh, let's let's talk to the young Bantamweight who's got a fight coming up at USC 292 in Boston, Massachusetts. Song Yadong is his opponent. Song Yadong just came off a huge win over Ricky Simone. Uh, Rob Hans also beating them. So uh, th th this should be a good one. And I love that it's just stacked with Bantamweight. What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back with another superstar from the sport of mixed martial arts. Today we get to talk to Rob Font. We've got a big fight coming up. USC 292 in August. Rob, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thank you guys for having me on. Man, it's not too often that the guest has a better background than the host. <laughs> back there. Yeah, Is that and, all your uh, posters? <laughs> yeah, Kathy hooked it up, man. She uh, surprised me one day, put all my uh, all my posters up and just kind of like framed them up, hung them up, and just kind of like, we're still working. We're still working on a setup, but uh, yeah, she... Uh, she dug through the archives, got all the old, all the posters we signed, and hung them up. So, that's so you got every UFC poster for every fight you've been on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we have tube. Usually, we just kind of we had like this one spot we would just throw all the tubes and just keep them there. And then they finally, we just stopped being lazy and um, kind of opened them up and just started hanging them up. Did you get a, a poster from? Because they sell them at the UFC at the event. They usually run out. Is yep. it one of those, or is it the ones that all the fighters signed? So you have you get um like, I want to say two, maybe maybe one with all the fighters, and then you get like two or three copies of just the regular poster. Nice, yeah. all right, very cool. Yeah, By the cool, way, it's cool setup. It's like it's like uh, one of these things that you know you, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be happy I saved them, especially obviously once once I get older. But this now that I got daughters, you can kind of see all these, and then. You know, everybody's signatures on it, so it's pretty cool to kind of look around and kind of see, try to figure out whose signature it is. It's a pretty cool setup. Mm -hmm. The uh, you play chess or 
Or is that just a, a, yeah, a, a little bit, little bit checkerboard? And now it's just that's a little bit. No, I'm, yeah. I'm not that good, but I'm getting better. You know, um, I'm getting beat up by Kathy all the time, man. Critical thinker game. I love it. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. We um, actually got a pretty cool setup on the, on our, uh, our dinner table, our kitchen table. It's like it's like uh, it's just there. So every morning we just kind of go at it. Um, I'm catching up to her, but she she just she just showed me how to play like maybe about a year and a half ago, two years. So catching up, feeling good. Goes. What was the name of that chess uh, movie or series on the Netflix? Queen Gambit. <laughs> Have you seen that? She uh she she put me on to that too. She was like uh once we started kind of playing around with the with the chess, yeah. she 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 showed me that video or, or that uh series and, and it's it's pretty cool, man. It's it's like cool. It's it's cool how they see the board and four or five yeah. different moves at the time. I'm still I'm still stuck in that offense defense. If I'm if I'm either just playing defense or I'm just playing offense, you know, it's never like kind of countering at the same time. I'm trying to figure that out and some of these chess players they're doing like six moves at a time and it's it's impressive. It's like I, I still, I still kind of fully understand how they do it, but it's, it's pretty cool. Hey, you're not going to believe this, but we have a cousin who has competed all over the world in chess. He's younger than us. Okay, bro, he embarrassed me one day, but wasn't so much what he did to me; it's what he did before. We were all getting ready to leave somewhere, and my mom was like, "Hey, we gotta go," and and he was like, "We're just gonna get a quick game in," she goes, but we gotta go soon. He said. Don't worry, he'll be done soon. Like, he <laughs> took me out, dude, in like six moves. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah. I just saw uh, it's funny. I, I was just at a, a barbecue now, uh, like maybe like a month ago, and my buddy uh, Jay, his his little uh, nephew, six years old, same thing. Everybody's at the table just watching him beat everybody up. Mm -hmm. He's he's just having fun, talking shit. He was kind of like, why would you do that move? Like, it, was, <laughs> it, was just, it was just so funny. He was like, why, why? That's, that's, that's a mistake. He'll do it. It was, it was awesome. And like, it was so cool to see him just like, like just wasn't like he didn't like he was taking it serious but wasn't taking it too serious and just kind of like like playing baseball and then come around you know what I'm saying jump on the chess table then run around and, and jump play players friends but it was it was cool to see how he just like four or five steps and he only been playing for like three months and he's beating everybody at the tables it was crazy wow if you think about it every time you fight there's always some jackass in the stands that says, kick his ass, see bass, put him in a body bag. You know, they're yelling shit, right? Those are knuckleheads, and you guys are the top of the heap professional fighters, prize fighters. In the Queen's Gambit, they're you and us that are watching. We're the ones, you know, like the, the way we play, we're like, kick his ass, see bass. That's how bad we are watching those geniuses play like you said your nephew right is he that good yeah 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 um so my, my buddy's um nephew he, he uh he he's amazing man he's six years old it's like we literally just sat there and watched him for like at least 30 minutes and sat there did nothing else at the bar. I mean, no socializing just watched him play and it was it was impressive and like it got me i i, I had to go home and read up and like try to like try to catch up just to kind of even compete with him it was, it was pretty cool that same cousin that goes told you about he told me the same thing. He goes, all right, let's play. And so we sit down and I go, where's your queen? He goes, I'm not going to need it. And <laughs> proceeded to beat me. I can't, I can't remember it was in six moves, but I still lost. Um, and it wasn't even close. But Rob, I got to tell you something, man. UFC 292 is right down my alley. And I'll tell you why. I love the way the card is built. But more than anything, I'm laser focused 
on the Bantamweight division. I love it when there's one division that's got a big spotlight on it because yeah. so many things can happen. You have an insurance for the title fight, just in case you need it. Nobody hopes that anybody gets hurt or doesn't make weight. And then there's just going to be – and what I really used to like is instead of the individual media days, when it would be like a dais and they could all kind of talk because some of them have fought, some of them want to fight. But that's what you do. I think that's what you do to build a a, a division. Yeah. And so, like, maybe the next one can be lightweights. And I'm, and I'm not saying all 15 fights have to be Bantam, but throw, like, a good three or four and make sure the big dogs are in there. How about you? Are you feeling the same thing? Like, I agree. I mean, this is really going to be a nice shakeup at 135. A lot of questions are going to be answered. I agree. You know, you have the uh, the young the young phenom in, in Sean O'Malley doing his thing. Then you have the the veteran in in, in uh, Henry Sudo coming back. Obviously, uh, you got uh, me versus Song Yudong, Cheeto versus Henry. It's it, it's it just makes sense to kind of put all of us out there, um, you know. And, and again, it, it's just like like you said, like when like, I feel like there's more. It, it's more it's more it's, it's, it's like it clears up a lot of things when you have everybody fighting at the same time. So uh, yeah, I'm all for it. Even uh, Batista versus Garbrandt. Um, yep, yep, yep. He he's there as well, and and uh, yeah, it does clear up a lot of things. And another thing is, you're all on the same timeline. So minus a serious injury or any suspension, for the most part, you're all going to have bumps, bruises, lacerations, whatever. And there's going to be a similar timeline to recover and hopefully do it again. I just wish the UFC would do this more often. Bantamweight's my favorite division. Been oh. saying that for a few years now. Cause it is just deep, man. Like one through twenty is insane, and 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 there's some chirping going on. There's some rivalries. There's a little bit of everything in that division. Yeah, man. No, it's the best. It's definitely the best division, in my opinion. Obviously, I'm biased. I'm in it, but it's it's one of the toughest. The more one of the most technical. You get technique. You get the cardio. You get the knockouts. Um, and like you said, there's there's a little bit of back and forth in the division as well as far as like talking. So it's it's like it's it's a division to watch for sure. You took a year off after the last loss, and then you came back with a win. Now, with you being in your mid-30s, which they start to say, you know, that's getting older for the lighter weight fighters. A heavyweight fighter can fight, you know, they're just getting started. But with the year off, with, you know, no disrespect to Yanez, but, you know, obviously he was a hot commodity coming up. What did that feel like to get that W? You know, did it feel like, again, not towards Yanez, but just towards, like, Everyone that maybe was starting to doubt that the, this was the beginning of the end was it just one big? Yeah, when you yeah, got that definitely, uh, definitely. You know, it, it was um, obviously they were, they were building him up and 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 everybody was talking about him. He even kind of like was he was talking about fighting Sean O'Malley at the press conference or or, or the media day instead of just obviously talking about our fight. It was it, it did feel a little disrespectful, but but it comes with the territory. You know, you, you lose two in a row, you sit out for a year. You know, people forget, you know, um, and then I just had to go out there and remind them. It, like I told everybody, it felt like me and my team had a, a secret nobody knew about. And, and obviously I was the betting underdog and everybody, everybody was obviously doubting me. I just had to go out there and not just win, but make a statement. And I, and I believe we did. And, and, and it, you know, like they were even saying that like, he's probably one of the best boxers in the division. He's, he's, um, you know, the next big thing, obviously. And, and that's part of the, part of the, you know, like part of the process, I guess, is promoting a fighter or, or promoting yourself, obviously, and then, and but it did feel a little like, not only disrespectful, but like, like it did feel like I was getting written off. Um, and then, obviously, go out there and do what I do, and, and 
put him away. Now everybody's like, oh, yeah, see, you forgot. You know, like, we knew, we knew he wasn't all that. And so it just it just comes with it, you know. Yeah. Did you and Yanez speak afterwards or have you? Um, it, it probably was a learning moment for a young fighter, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed talking to him. I enjoyed talking to you. It sucked watching two guys that I like. Uh, fight, you know, to watching them compete to have to fight, but that's just the job. That's just the the way this sport is. Did you guys have any chat at all? Um, not really. Um, like like in the cage, you know, good stuff. Um, you know, he 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 was always he's real cool. He was always like, I'm, I'm a huge fan. Um, you know, um, yeah, he, he was cool. We didn't talk too much. Um, but um, yeah, it, I think it was it was a little bit of like like he obviously he he. I don't want to say the stage was too big for him. I think he he's definitely, but he was he was kind of like thinking it was like it was like it was just being too cool and like kind of like thinking it was all it was really fun um, being out there doing the press conference and all that. And I can kind of see. I felt like I felt like he was one of the younger fighters I worked with. Like it was like it felt like like everything about him. It was just like it was just like it was just too happy to be there. Like you know, like doing a press conference is great, but it's kind of like it is kind of annoying yet sometimes too. And it's like he was just. It was just too. It, he was just too happy to be there, and it wasn't like, and it it, it just felt kind of young, you know. Like it felt like like all right, yeah. He he's 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 just too happy. He's just, and like I don't know. I don't I don't, don't want to sound like a hater or like that. But like it's just like yeah. You just you think this is too cool. Like you 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 you're like you're too you're having too much fun with this camera and the spotlight. And it's kind of like like it's it's part of the job. But like it, like you feel like it's the first time you're doing this. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, putting that fight behind us and looking forward, Song Yudong, he also was coming off a huge win. Um, so this is a great collision course for you guys. How do you interpret this fight? Um, and I'm not asking you to, you know, look past him, obviously, but what is the meaning of this fight? Like, as you see the division shake up, you got Morav coming off injury, not necessarily wanting to fight his teammate. You got a title fight there with Aljo and O'Malley, although Aljo is kind of putting it out that he might, move up. I think the weight cut is getting tougher, and I think he wants to maybe explore the champ champ possibility. So as you read the division, how do you, what's the importance of this fight? It's, um, it's, it's more of like, um, obviously a win is huge, but I, I got to get back to that finish to kind of like have people wanting to see me more than anybody else. You know, like, um, I think if I can go out there and get an impressive, an, an impressive knockout, impressive finish, um, or even just an impressive fight, um, you know, like I think, like like I'll I'll be I'll I'll be consistent. I'll be two finishes. I'll be uh I'll be in that conversation. It's just like I, it just sucks. That I am fighting backwards, so it's kind of like I think it, this gets me close, but it's not the one. You know, mm-hmm. Rob. So going back to what what you guys were talking about a little bit before and the the previous matchup, I think you said something like like you felt like uh when people were watching you like they like you knew you knew something and i want to talk about strategy because i felt the same way i felt like strategy was really big in that fight because you were always one step ahead and you were frustrating him and you just knew which buttons to push and when to push them can you maybe talk about what you guys did coaching wise preparation wise and what actually clicked for you in that fight because it was one of your best fights and and I want to know, is it like, was it a mental thing or a physical thing or a strategy thing, or was it all just I think a little together? Bit, I think a little bit of all three of them. You know, I think I needed the rest to recover physically, uh, mentally. I needed the break, um, and then strategy and, and tactically. I think we we knew what, what we had with him. We knew, um, um, you know, like he was quick. We knew that he, you know, like he he likes to throw. He, if he gets hit, he likes to just throw. You know, so I was like, all right, let's 
And it's obviously does not get hit by him, but like once I felt it, like I knew, like I knew, like he was like he he felt like he was just too happy that he landed something. Then he's like, all right, I'm gonna stay right here. If you notice, like when he hit me, he 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 didn't like exit or get out. He was right there. So anytime like he would kind of land, and he, his head was just right there. So I knew like if I could just kind of close the gap, um, clinch, get my hands on him, wear on him a little bit, I know exactly where his head's gonna be. And 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 um, you know, and we used to we've been doing it for a while. Um, you know, um, we kind of stole it from Hector Camacho, where he would kind of grab people's back of the head and uppercut. And, and obviously, in boxing, it's illegal. But uh, and with, with the Muay Thai, with the with the, the Thai clinch and kind of like that club, we've been playing a lot with that. And we knew like he's powerful, like in, in that little pocket. But if we can kind of control him, kind of get our hand on him, move his shoulders around, his, his power's not going to be that that much pop. And he started landing. So you got, you can tell, you got a little more bolder to kind of like start throwing. And, and then once I kind of got into that clinch, I grabbed, the, I grabbed the head, and, and eventually I found the uppercut. And then once I heard him, then I just kind of just took over from there. Um, but, it, but but as far as strategy, it was kind of like to, to not either obviously be all the way out or kind of in that range where I can grab him and, and never really give him that shot to counter or, or get going. And um and, and it worked out perfectly, in the, in the, especially early in the first round. Um, he was quick. He was fast. Um, obviously, I can feel the power as well, um, but it's just like I just knew where he was going to be the whole time. Rob, being a professional fighter at your level and having an opponent that you have to train for, and then you just get a little bit of time off, and there's another guy that you have to train for, and that just cycle kind of repeats. And we've heard fighters say before that when you have that time off, it's when you can focus on yourself and getting better and not having to focus on a guy you're fighting. Can you talk about that year off and kind of what it did maybe for you mentally and, and just uh, kind of like reinvigorating your, your career a little bit? Is that something that even if there isn't an injury involved or something, should fighters maybe look to, to do that at some point in blocks of their career? Yeah, I recommend it. You know, I definitely recommend it. Like, obviously, it, it sucked that it was like a forced year off. Um, but, yeah, if you have some time to kind of clear up, get some injuries, um, you know, like clear the mental like I, I needed to kind of like just take a break I went back to back like like I, I feel like I, my face needed to really heal up after that cheeto fight it, it was just it was a lot and obviously um wifey was pregnant so it was kind of like I just like let's just just chill out I don't want to put her through another stressful camp or or whatever or even like put her through another stressful fight so it's kind of like just chill out um spend as much time with Cappy as possible um deliver this baby and, and then still training as far as getting better and um recovering but not like full-on in the camp, grinding, shaking, listening, sparring, and all that type of stuff. It was just back to kind of how when I first started, where it was just like, let's work on technique. Let's kind of just roll. Um, we're just kind of like, we're not even worrying about the fights. Um, I, don't even, I don't even want to put an MMA glove on. I just want to just like, let's just grapple. Let's just kind of like, like uh, put on boxing gloves, shin guards, just go back to just like martial arts. And, and that's what we did. And, 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 and then, you know, obviously, Kathy gave birth and then right after that we got right back to it you know we had we had a plan we fought in April and um uh April fought Cheeto in April they listen we, we want at least a year off so you know we told Sean Shelby like basically don't call us until April and then he called us April 8th for, for April 8th and when we got back into camp and and then um even even when we got back into camp it wasn't necessarily more focused on Adrian it was more focused on, on me and then just one real big key thing was kind of like make sure we can control that clinch when um when he does start to kind of like get off in that mid range and that's and it worked out perfect. Man, I'd be stressing if I got a call on April first from a matchmaker. Never <laughs> know. Is it real? Am I really doing this? Or, um, let me ask you about bonuses. Right, you're you're a dad now. 
these bonuses are life changing. Um, I don't know that fighters really go out there and fight differently. I- I'm sure it's in the back of your mind, but um, I don't know. Is it is it like is there even a way to motivate a fighter more? I got to imagine you're going in there wanting to win, wanting to put a, a big performance. Yeah. But that money is life changing. Uh, d- yeah. Does it feel any different now that you're a father? Um, no, I, I've, I've always like, since my debut, I've always like in the back of my mind, like, I want that extra check like that. Like, I, you know what I'm saying? Obviously everybody needs it, but I want, I want to get out there. I want to go out there and I want to perform and I want to get after it. And, 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 and you know, I, I, I also want the fans to kind of be like, yo, this guy deserves the check, you know, not even just cause like, I just want everybody to be, it wanted to be real clear that like, yo, give that man some almost that extra check. Um, you know, I think, you know, when it comes down to it, like some, I think some fighters like don't worry about it at all. You know, they're like, oh, I'm just going to get in there and get the W. Um, and there's other fighters that are like not, they're, they're not just satisfied with the W. They want the W, they want the performance, they want the finish, and they want the knockout, um, obviously bonus. So it's kind of like, it's, it's more of a mindset and more of a personality type thing. Were you sweating it at all? Because Holland had a KO and Pfeiffer, I think, on the card. Like, when did you, I guess you talked about it at the end, right? Honestly, but, like, like, like this is like I felt good about this one. Like the energy just changed. Like, yeah, it just changed once I was in there. Like, and then once I got out, um, and then like the whole place just it, it erupted, you know. So like I felt right. like no, we got this one. Like it's, and I and I've always been kind of nervous about all, all the bonuses I have. But, like this one, I felt good. Like it was like no, nah. the everybody popped. Everybody jumped up after today. Everybody was standing. So like. Even everybody around the cage to uh to like everybody just stood up. So I felt it. I felt like nah, this is gonna be a, a solid. And then obviously we got the bonus. Well, that was gonna be my next question. Was is this the biggest win ever? Um, are you like in terms of the the feeling you know of being carnal and violent in front of a yeah. in front of a big stage? It was a big yeah. card. You know, Miami, like you said, they brought it. The, the a lot of energy from the fans. So in that regard, was it your Proudest moment, biggest moment. Was it anything? I, and I know you fought other big names as well. For, it's been a while. You know, you, you've done this for a minute. Yeah, no, definitely. It, it's, it's probably one of my biggest moments, especially since I, I haven't fought in front of a crowd like that since uh, 2019. So last time I fought, uh, when I fought Ricky Simone after that, it's been kind of in the apex. And the first two fights coming back, it was real, like, real, like, maybe 20 people in there. And then uh, the, the last two, they, they, or, or Aldo and, and, and Cheeto fight, they, it was probably more like 50, 60 people, but I haven't fought in front of a crowd like that. So to kind of get that feeling back, to kind of come come back from losing two in a row and, and, and taking a year off and, and all all that I went to, and then hearing all the, you know, saying all the, the naysayers and all, and all the talk. So like to kind of go out there and just kind of quiet everybody and, and, and kind of like, like you said, like kind of do the, the point the finger and, and and, and just remind everybody, like, oh yeah, I forgot about you know this guy's power. He does have power. He is, he is, he is, he is still one of those guys that you got to watch out for. And uh, you know, I just, I'm just happy I'm back in that conversation. And of course, the next one's in Boston in front of fans, and I imagine that one's going to be pretty loud. Uh, you got to be, you know, just you know, amped up over, over over the fact that you landed on that card. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Um, like we we they it was it was, it was wasn't sure if they were coming to Boston for a few, and then they finally obviously put it on 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 the on the um they finally kind of like you know started matching that card and um and so I I just knew like I just knew like like from Miami we wanted to take some time off and then eventually fight in Boston um and then we just I'm just glad we got a we got a 
obviously a, a ranked opponent. Um, you know, not not a ranked opponent ahead of me, but he's still kind of like right there. Um, but what we didn't want to do, what we didn't want to do again, was fight another like agent where he's like so far back, you know. So I'm, I'm happy with the with the card. I'm happy with the opponent, and um, I'm happy with the time. Just in case, are you gonna weigh one in, weigh in at 135? Hell yeah, hell yeah. Why not, right? Like, right. Like, why not? Man, that'd be awesome. Like, obviously, you know, I want to like everybody. Everybody's healthy and gets to it. But when those freak accidents happen, um, call me up. I'm your guy. I think that happened to Pettis once. Somebody had already weighed in at 156, and when there was a reshuffle at the top, he was eliminated because the weigh-in had already happened. So I, I think until the champ weighs in and the opponent weighs in, then it's it's got to be 135 because anything can happen. I mean, anything can happen in this sport, right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. No, like um, one of my one of my coaches um, fighting at heavyweight. He was in Maine and he 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 got to the fight. Jumped into the cage, started warming up, jumped off a couple of times, landed and rolled his ankle, and it, 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 it was kind of like whoa. It was kind of obviously he went, he, he finally went through the fight, but it's kind of like he could have easily just called it right there. So it's kind of like it really, it, it, it's it, like you don't know until you fight until like the ref says go. You know, it's like it's it's, it's kind of creepy how this sport is. Did he pull a, a Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje like that type of flip, or what did he do? No, no, he just jumped up, like warming up. Like, he was warming up, getting ready. They're about to like announce like oh, wow. opponents. He was just kind of like hanging out, ready to go. He started jumping up to warm up his legs and fell and he landed awkward and fucked his ankle up. And then oh. uh, he went through the, the, the uh he went through the fight, but it could have he could have easily just pulled out and nobody would have kind of wow. like, even like questioned him for it. Like it, it was it was pretty bad. It was it was swollen for like weeks, but did you see the way Kevin Randleman used to jump up and down? Uh, the monster. I don't know who you remember him years ago. He he used to jump up and get amped up, man. But he he had some hops. Uh, but he would do that as well. Blow it up, yeah. Say, so, yeah. yeah. Like I remember saying, like, man, it's really like because because I had a couple fights kind of like fall out, like Wayne Day on the local scene, um, fight day, all that, you know, like stuff. So kind of like it, it's always been like, all right, like I've always told you, like, just listen, like just. Don't worry about the fight until you actually hear the fucking ref go. Let's go. Like, just be prepared for anything to happen because freak accidents happen all the time. You know, we keep talking about a show in the Caribbean and Jamaica's coming strong. You know, like they got some fighters. What about Puerto Rico? They're, they're, I've been hearing talks of a, of a PI, maybe a show there one day. The UFC went there way, way a long time ago. Yeah. Have you heard anything so that Jamaica don't steal this from Puerto Rico? So that's not what you were saying. I think they were saying something about the commission and 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 how like they don't want to do five rounds or something like, or five minute rounds and they want to do three minute rounds or something like that. That was the last thing I've ever heard about like why they wouldn't want to go out there. Then it was that and and then it was something about the weather. And I was like, I was like, there's no way like, we definitely make that happen. So I'm not sure what's going on with that, but we definitely need to make a a card out there for sure. I mean, yeah, it's a hot bed of talent, not just in MMA. But in a lot of sports, the Caribbean yeah. definitely de delivers. Um, all right, make last sound, question. Make it sounds good too, man. Like I went mind going out there as well. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Last question. Your boy Calvin. I would have loved to see him on this card. He got injured last uh, October, I think. Yeah. So it's around the ten month mark. And I know this is his business, but you're really tight with him. So I figured, what can you share? Did it was it close? Did he did he want was he close to being on this card or just no, not ready or no 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 yeah no yeah he's he's moving though he's he's moving like it's it's like he's finally he just sparred yesterday actually I was just in 
and just left the boxing gym with him earlier today. Um, so he he's sharp. He's moving. He's he's um, he's grappling. Mm. He's um, he's back from Vegas. He just got back maybe like two weeks ago. Um, so he, he's doing all the work. It's just it's just not yet. You know, like it's more of like he's moving around with certain people, safe guys, and, and not pushing that that boundary yet. But I think I think you know like. I give him another month. I think he, he can jump back into a camp and then like, really start getting something going and and getting obviously in better shape and then get um, obviously reaching out to Sean Shelby and seeing what, what's what's next. But uh, it is unfortunate that he won't be on the Boston guard. Yeah. All right, Rob. Well, thank you so much for the time. Great to see you and congratulate you. I guess officially from that epic win in Miami and now you got the next fight in Boston. Man, you got to be pretty. Happy about the way 2023 has unfolded so far. And, yeah, and, and awesome. baby and everything. Yeah, yeah, what was, awesome. was the baby born? What was it? What month? Uh, six. What's that? Uh, she was born December 6th. Oh, okay. So it's 2022. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, either way, like I say, the last year's been great for you. So congratulations. Thanks for the time. And we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate you having me on, guys. All right, guys. Make a prediction. Where does the UFC go in the Caribbean before? Yeah. Where does the UFC go in the, in the Caribbean? Puerto Rico, Jamaica. I don't think I'll say Cuba because I don't think that one's going to happen. But if you had to pick, you know, Does, whether it's 2026, 2032, I don't know. I, I imagine one day they'll go back to the Caribbean. I guess Haiti, you know, from what you know, where do you think they would go? Does Panama count? No, because that's Central America. Central? Uh I think it's just a two-horse race. Well, no, the Dominican Republic's also in the uh, Caribbean. So the Dominican yeah. Republic, Haiti, Cuba, Puerto Rico, Jamaica. Man, I, I just feel I, like Jamaica is kind of leading the way a little bit with Aljo and Edwards and Randy Brown and, you know, I think O'Day Osborne, you know. Mm -hmm. I just feel like Puerto Rico should have just already been done. Yeah, and me too. So, uh, I, I, you know, if it hasn't, then it's got to be for a reason. So I think Jamaica is probably the, the front runner. Puerto Rico is really a territory that belongs to the United States. So I feel like it, it could be a state one day. And I'm still tripping a little bit about, you're right, being reminded about how things just may never happen in Hawaii. What kind of a commission doesn't want to bring money in for their city or their state? Like, the UFC has a 30-year track record as of November 12th of 2023. So we're on 29 years and a half, what do you, whatever you want to call it. They bring in a lot of money, the fans of it, the safety. What the fuck stops Puerto Rico and Hawaii and whatever other state has might still have a hard-on with the UFC? Dude, get it together, man. Seriously. I don't know, know any other way to put it. I don't know. They gotta go to Puerto Rico or Jamaica or and Hawaii for sure. I mean, this is this is ridiculous. Do they really though? I mean, don't all of us think it's cool? But at the end of the day, they don't have to, right? They still make hand over fist money. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, no. They don't. They don't need it in terms of um, in terms of. Uh, it'll make or break the company. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying. Like if Bellator I'm, announced part today. of the world that I think can appreciate that they can get a lot of athletes. If they think enough of Puerto Rico, that they want to do a PI there, they must think that 
Because that's usually their plan. They go with a fight night to a city, introduce it. They come with a headliner from that city that can maybe get the kids motivated. And in a few years, they have stars. That's what they're probably going to try and do with Africa. That's what they're doing with Mexico. But here's the thing goes. Why is it that you and I, in the last 16 years, we've almost been ahead of them by three or five years? Like, by the time they went to Mexico, you and I have been saying they should go to Mexico. And then when they go, the reaction from Dana and them is like, we should have been here a long time ago. This place is hot. Like, that's what I'm wondering. I mean, okay, yeah, look, respect to Sean and Mick. And there's a lot of people that probably do good jobs. Is there someone that doesn't forecast the future just a little bit better and tell them, look, man, there's some great athletes in France. There's some great athletes in Africa, Mexico. We, you know, like, I, I don't know. Like, uh, I'm with you in the sense that I think it's dumb. It hasn't happened. But I'm also, there's so many people that work there, so many people that we respect, Mark Ratner, that I have to imagine if it was worth it profit-wise or or whatever exposure, they would do everything they could to make it happen. I mean, I, I, I don't know. There's just got to be some kind of explanation. Yeah. You and I said McGregor belonged in the UFC about six months to a year before Dana even knew who he was. Mm -hmm. They need scouts, goes. They, they need scouts. Um, all right. Uh, look, this weekend is Sean Strickland against Abus Magomedov. And uh, Strickland was... You know, I'm, I'm just going to say it this way. He was on fire. He, I know he's controversial and stuff, but how do you not kind of hang on every word that he says? You know, you kind of maybe roll your eyes occasionally when he's offensive or it's silly. Yeah, or for the most, huh? I thought he was horrible this week. It was too much. Yo, he really? took the monkey off of uh, Roseanne Barr's back. I thought, you know, all that that she had to suffer or, all you know, everybody coming at her for her comments. Holy crap, man, Sean. Strickland just is not. Well, I only got some of the highlights, and I was cracking up with me and Izzy need to fight. Whether it's in the parking lot, it's going to happen. And um, but I guess I'll have to go back and and, and listen to it all. And I, I what what did he say that was so bad? Well, I, I, even even at Extreme Couture, you know, he did an interview where he was pretty offensive to a female. Then at the the presser about females need to stop working and just go back to the house and like. It's just stuff that, like, even if you are trying to be cringy, it's just too cringy. I don't know. It was like, it's just borderline nuts. If he was a comedian, we'd all laugh. And he's not a comedian. But if he was, could it be that he's almost trying to paint himself into just the controversial uh, crazy nut that says what's on the top of his mind, but we've all just accepted as, that's just this shtick, that's just this thing, don't worry about the offensive stuff? I don't know. I mean, that uh, picking fights with Dewey Cooper, it's just uh, like, okay, did you hear about what he said about Dewey Cooper? I did not. Okay, so he basically said that he's a cardio kickboxing coach, that mm -hmm. if you look at his record, it's mostly red. He wasn't that good. That why Marvin Vittori's wasting his time with him, he doesn't understand. Like that stuff, man, I'm not, it's okay to believe that, but you have to remember you're a part of a gym. You belong to a, to a gym. And you're creating chaos amongst that gym that just doesn't need to be out in the open, mm -hmm. you know, because Dewey Cooper's not going to like that when he hears that. And he's probably going to knock on Sean Strickland's door. And if he doesn't, he's probably going to knock on Eric Nixick's door or Randy Couture's door. And what could happen then? You know, if, if enough people get mad, well, 
you know, he's not the only one that works with Dewey Cooper. There's a lot of fighters that work with Dewey Cooper. What if they all say, how could you not come to the defense of Dewey Cooper? Now we're leaving. Like, it could just create so much chaos that I think you got to go like, what, what the fuck, man? Like, why, why do this in front of everyone? Why give everybody all these headaches? Well, I suppose that could happen. I think everyone behind the scenes laughs, with the exception of Dewey Cooper. I don't know that it can get this this far, uh, as you're saying. I think that's between Dewey and Sean, and you're right. It shouldn't happen at Extreme Couture. Um, but I'll have to, I'll listen to the whole thing and see. Uh, yeah, I'm telling you, he does trudge on the line of <laughs> whatever you want to call it, decency, uh, whatever, but I, I have noticed that his media days are pretty damn popular. Mm-hmm. Folks, tune in to the UFC Fight Night card on Saturday. We will have great coverage at MMA Junkie. It's Strickland versus Magomedov or UFC on ESPN 48. It's cool that they're having a lot of fights on ESPN. A lot of, well, some fights on ABC last week, ESPN 2. Like, this has been, a, been really been a good summer for the UFC on ESPN. Think about it. The Ultimate Fighter on ESPN. It repeats later on on ESPN 2. And the ABC cards have been a little bit more frequently. I think the, I was seeing the big Fox cards towards the end of that run with them. So I think they're getting a lot from their relationship with ESPN. And maybe this will be a lucrative contract when they re-up with ESPN, which I hear that's coming up pretty soon. How soon? I don't know. Demir Ismagulov against Grant Dawson, Max Griffin against Michael Morales. Those are the top three fights on the card. The return of Kevin Lee. He says it's 2.0. Uh, Alexander Romanov against Wagoy Ivanov. Some big boys also on the card. We have all that coverage on MMA Junkie. So just a couple of things here, and then we'll get out of your way. Uh, Goes and I are every week Spinning back click Mondays live noon Eastern 9 a.m. Pacific. Check it out on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash MMA junkie video, or just go to www.mmajunkie.com. Follow the links, but it's every Monday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, where we unpack all the biggest stories in MMA. It's a live show that you can participate in. Leave questions in the chat, leave comments. I try to read as many as I can, and our colleagues, like I say, join us uh, in a rotation. Mike Vaughn, Danny Segura, Nolan King, Farah Hanoon, uh, Matt Well, Simon Samano. I hope I didn't leave anyone out, did I? Or is that the whole team? No, it's pretty much all. Dan Tom. Dan Tom. How can I forget poor Dan Tom? Um, yeah, so check that out. We do have a watch along on July 8th. And then just as we leave you, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, this is a pre-recorded conversation I had with Sean Sheehan, and uh, all you know, he'll explain all the places that he's at, the Twitter handles, and everything, so you can give him a follow. I think he's a great follow, especially on fight nights. But he's very, very educated on the rules and regulations when it comes to judging and refereeing. And so we had a chat a few weeks ago, so you'll notice that some of it pertains to some recent fights, but a lot of this is just evergreen information. So. Uh, Hang tight. You will hear that conversation. And then we'll be, Goes and I will come back to just give our final thoughts and bounce.
What's going on, everybody? Gorgeous George reporting for duty here by himself because Goes is traveling from California back to Nevada in time for tomorrow night's UFC 289 watch along. However, I felt like this was very important. And if I, for some reason, let it go in next week, and Sean and I will talk about it, our guest here in a second, then all of a sudden it was going to lose its steam. This is Sean Sheehan from the other side of the pond from Severe MMA. And uh, he has been covering the sport for a long time. He's a fellow Manchester United fan. And uh, it's going to be good to get his perspective on the world of judging because he's well-versed in it. And uh, welcome, Sean, uh, to the show. How are you? Great. Thank you very much for having me. I, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'm probably more well-versed in Man United than I am in judging, but I think both of them bring me an equal amount of stress. So, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's not always the way in life. We, 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 we gravitate to the things that bring us the most stress, but uh, I appreciate you having me on and I appreciate everything uh, yourself and your partner have done over the last few years and, and well, few years. To how long is it? Two decades and paved the way for a person like me and other people in uh, in the uh, uh, in the MMA media game as well with with the podcast you produce all the time. You're uh, you're absolute legends, and I, I I'm very very happy to be on the show. Thanks very much. Well, thank you, Sean. That's very kind of you to say, man. And let me tell you something. Um, I this is funny because uh, I do want to chat to Manchester United because that wound has not has not healed yet from. A few days ago, but I want to do, I want people to get to know who you are and then, you know, we'll talk about all that, but I also want to talk about judging and we're going to divide it into two because I really want to, uh, you know, use this across the different platforms that we have. So don't think that I don't want to talk Man United. Here's my little deal right here. It's always with me, but uh, let's talk about judging. So I was traveling from California to Nevada. And um, I pulled into a Starbucks to get a coffee and long ass line. We're sitting there. And so I just pulled out the phone and um, I hit Twitter, you know, and then I see you and our colleague Ariel Hawani having a chat, you know, about something. I don't know. But it, it, the the uh, which you guys the, the genesis of it was was judging. And then apparently you guys maybe just had a, a disagreement or so. And I didn't have too much time to see. Hey, what's going on here? Whatever. Although I am a, a, a little bit of a drama guy and I kind of do like it, but mostly when fighters are engaged in it. Right. But anyway, in this, some words stood out to me, you know, that, hey, hey, I, I really have a good grasp on this. And and I've offered myself to talk about it with others and, and maybe educate. And um, but no one's really taken me up on it, although I do remember John Anik. A, a while back, uh, lauding your um, intelligence, you know, and, and everything you know about this. Uh, and then I saw that uh, also Aaron Bronstetter is, is another guy that, that you had been on, you know, and I thought, okay, we need to get this guy on because Goz and I have talked it to death. We're limited to what we know. I think we've gone as far as maybe two guys that cover the sport and know about judging from the beginning and all the changes that they've had and now the, the easier, the, the more applicable 10-8s and we've read this, we printed it out a while ago, the Unified Rules of MMA, gone over it. But still, I, I wanted to get a fresh opinion on this, you know, and it sounded like you really, when you're endorsed by John Anik, trust me, I, you know, we need to talk. And so, uh, Sean, I guess I, I wrote down some questions here. I, I, I like the free flow, honestly, but I thought, you know what, I got to get a few of these things out. And I wanted to start with, on a scale of 1 to 10 or A to F, 
what grade, let's start with this, what grade would you give the core judges, you know, those 10, 12 names that we constantly hear um, that we consider, I guess, the best, maybe, I don't know, to get the biggest fights. But what, at this point in time, what, what would you consider that they're at right now? Because I personally am sick of the judges suck. I think that's an ignorant statement for people to say. Um, I, I think judges have made mistakes, for sure. But I think as a whole, I think they're better than people give them credit for. But how about you, sir? Uh, honestly, so th this is, uh, uh, with everything in judging, this has to be a more nuanced answer than giving them 5 out of 10 or 10 out of 10, you know? So I, I, and I think it's actually a more simple answer, this one. So with the criteria we have at the moment, I think the judges almost unanimously uh, judge fights using that criteria to a T. There's almost no fights that you can see where the criteria that we have now is not used to a judge in a way you can argue, right? So in judging, we have to remember all the time, you can never have an agreement. You know, there's a, a close round, like, you know, we're coming out from Kai Car France uh, mm -hmm. against Amir Al-Bazi. And let's say <clears throat> the rounds one and rounds two, both very close. You might say Kai won round one. I might say Al-Bazi won round one, vice versa. It's, there's always going to be close rounds like that where one judge can argue I scored it because of this and one judge can argue I scored it because of the other way, right? Let's say there's around, like, say, like round three in that fight where it's pretty clear that Albazi won the fight. Won, sorry, mm -hmm. won the round. If a judge argues the other way and says Kai Kara France won it, well, it's very hard to argue via the criteria that he actually won that round. But that very rarely happens, like almost never. I think people said, you know, round four, they thought it was like that. I went back and I watched it three times. It wasn't like that. You could, I That's thought the Kai won the round. Chris Lee stood out, right? Yeah. But okay. you can argue. You might not agree with Chris Lee and you might like vigorously disagree with him, but there's definitely an argument in that round that you could say Albazi won it. Now, I don't agree with it. And the vast majority of people don't agree with it, but there is. There's, Honestly, so we do like um, a robbery of the year every year. And a lot of the time it comes from PFL last year because they were in uh, Florida and I think was it Atlanta as well. My, my American geography isn't the best, but they have they use the local judges and they don't have that pool of the top 10, 12, 15 judges that you were speaking of. And those judges don't have the ability to use the criteria as well as the top judges. We saw Mike Mazzulli mention him uh, the other day. I think he was he was talking to Aaron Bronstetter that he knows him. I've spoken to him in Dublin recently uh, a couple of times and he told me the exact same thing. So to answer your question initially, it's almost a 10 out of 10 how well the judges judge using the criteria. And now just uh, one thing as well, just on the whole Ariel stuff and all, the the first tweet I put out, say offering to kind of come on shows like this, and and a few people definitely have taken me up, John Anik and others. The reason I did that was because the judges are not allowed to come on to shows, right? So I speak to judges uh, all the time. I've been very lucky to have been Cartledge, one of the top judges on the world in the world, on my show a couple of times, and that was before. The, and Mike, you know, this was kind of a hidden secret, maybe up until last week when Aaron Bronsetter spoke to him and Ariel spoke to Mike Mazzulli said, I don't want these guys going on. Mike Mazzulli has banned the judges from going on. Right. And Andy mm. Foster came out this week and he said, judges are allowed to go on. No problem. They can speak to the media. The problem with all of that is 
if you say, okay, Andy Foster allowed me, then you go to Mike Mazzulli and go, I didn't allow you, and Mike Mazzulli's not going to book you for a show. So a judge is not going to go out and do an interview when he's going to get blackballed by oh. the biggest guy in the sport. That's what I'm So my initial tweet was offering to go on shows because I knew the judges couldn't go on shows. And all yeah. I wanted to do is not even, like, I'm giving my opinion here, obviously, a, a little bit as well, but I, I just want to read through the criteria, go through it and talk through the facts. Yeah. And that was all I was ever saying. And when I, I, I know people who listen to the John Anik show, that's what I've tried to do there at the very start. That's what I tried to do with Aaron Bronstetter. And, you know, people maybe think I have a big ego and all this, and maybe a little bit, but I, I just really think that education on the criteria is not my opinion on the criteria itself is the biggest part to help understanding why the judges are coming to to uh you know what they come to and uh maybe looking at the fights in a different sort of way mm -hmm. and so that's what i did i went to i guess somewhere in the thread that we're talking about uh there was a link that took me at least back to where i could hear the show where you went over the uh on the youtube channel where you went over word by word the i guess it was about four pages of the scoring criteria. Not that it was fascinating to hear it after I've read it. Folks, I recommend you may read it, but look, I have I think I have something attention deficit or something because I've read it before and I didn't interpret it anywhere near. And I've read it a few times, by the way, anywhere near than when I was listening to you. And that's as I'm driving 80 miles an hour, you know, uh, but I really soaked in a lot of stuff. It all kind of connected. It was really, really cool. So let me throw that right away. Uh, Severe MMA, their YouTube channel. Uh, I believe that's where it led back to. And, and Sean, you can correct me, but I know you got yeah. a lot of things going on with the podcast and everything. But that's where I found you going over the um, the criteria, and it was awesome. It's uh, it's actually my pinned tweet on Twitter. So it's if people want to find it at Sean Sheehan BA on Twitter, you'll be able to uh, to find it there. And it, it is. It's the thing about it, right? It's three point five pages the criteria. And I was just kind of reading it here before we came on, uh, going through it. And it's funny because there there are certain lines in it where there might be you know fifteen words, but you really have to kind of break them down and and understand them and and all of that. It's like th there's one line. Let me just quickly read here about about takedowns. So it says successful yeah. execution of takedowns, submission attempts, reversals, and the achievement of advantageous positions that produce immediate or cumulative impact with the potential to contribute to the end of the match with immediate weighing more than the uh, cumulative impact. So it basically says takedowns can score okay and we always talk about can takedown score or not but if you read like further into that line it says that produce immediate impact or cumulative, uh, cumulative impact and then it says with something else so it's like it's not only you could read that right and on the face of it say takedown score but then you read further and go well takedown score if they have this and if they have that and <laughs> you might be watching a fight and think okay you gotta take down that scores but then you have to like think well actually in the criteria it says he has to do this and that and it says then as well that takedowns is not merely a changing of position it's the establishment establishment of an attack from that position so right. okay, awesome. okay take in indeed yeah so it's like you get a takedown right and you mm -hmm. have to get the takedown before you can start the attack from that position so i i would describe it as like you can't drive a car until you sit in it you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> but but sitting in a car is not driving a car. You know, you're not getting from point A to B until you press the accelerator and go. 
but you yeah. also can't press the accelerator till you get there. So I, I think that like little bit of nuance. And I think, look, the takedowns and the late takedown winning around is really something that I suppose the people who are trying to get the info there have been successful on because I, that is the one part I think yeah. people have realized and people have changed it. The late takedown is not winning you the round. So that's very good. But there are so many other parts of it as well when talking about impact and when talking about, you know, octagon control and all of that, that, that still, I suppose, have to, to change. But uh, uh, that's an ongoing battle, I suppose. Yeah. And I would say, I won't say going back to the Zupa era, but I'll say probably around the time where. The Ultimate Fighter started to explode, and we got a ton of fans. Up, so that's about 2005, up until about five years ago, when they started to go over the rules and started tweaking a few things. You know, uh, rather than effective grappling or effective striking, I think they were almost just out and out calling it damage, which is what they used to do in Pride. You know, they really focused on the word damage and pride, but for some reason, I don't know if it had to do with when they were establishing the unified rules and they were dodging these senators and all these politicians back in the day, they didn't want to use that word. But so there was this window over about 2005 to about 2016 or 17, where I would say 80 to 90% of fans, media, coaches, fighters thought that that key takedown with 30 seconds left cemented things, you know, like the other four and a half minutes hadn't occurred and look obviously in a, in a round like we'll say not to pick on these young ladies but uh as far as versus nama Yunus too if, if really nothing has been going on sure of course a takedown is going to make a difference because yet again you touched on don't you ever de- write down 10 10 <laughs> you know uh because we don't want 10 10s you know what i mean so in that case i could see a takedown making that difference but yeah Folks, I'm telling you, it, it was about 30 minutes, Sean. Was it about 30 minutes or a little bit less? You... Around that, yeah, around 28. It was minutes, yeah. awesome. And and I hope I, I do it justice and because I tend to jump around and lose track and go on tangents. But him talking about the 10-town round was awesome. Him talking about the takedown and what you do with it afterwards, that's something, you know. And, and then, yes, I hear that all the time, and it rocked me back to – me reading it, but probably just not absorbing it. And that's immediate impact outweighs cumulative damage, I think, or something like that. It's something I'm constantly hearing in the gambling world as they're as they're thinking, how are the bookies looking at the fight as it's progressing and we're getting live odds, things like that. Meaning, I guess as humans, we are influenced by what we see towards the end, especially if it's damaging over what's kind of been established, those low leg kicks shots to the body, you know, maybe that aren't as sexy as an actual knockdown. It can be very, very difficult in those five minutes. But if you're watching the judges, they're not tweeting. They're not checking out the ring card girl or ordering a hot dog for, you know, when they're going to be sitting behind and watching the next fight. They're watching. They're watching and they're applying the data. Now, Sean, I want to see if you agree with this or not. My brother shoots me down. Um, He kind of feels to me a little bit, but it's not a complete fist bump that he gives me. But I've said that in the world that we're in, my advice to the fighters is the onus is on you. You have to do enough and feed the data to the judges so that they give you the 10-9 because at the end of the day, if you don't get it, guess who screwed? You, fighters. You know, because us media, yeah, we'll talk about it and joke about it and have opinions and fighters will tweet about it and weigh in and the promoter will say something. But guess what? By Tuesday or Wednesday, it's dying down. 
Oh, Bozzi and Carl Prance is in our rear room mirror. We got to focus on UFC 289 where there'll be new controversies. You know what I mean? And that's it. We get over it. And it's the same judges sitting in those in those seats doing their thing. So we can scream, we need new judges. We need five judges. We need two up there and three here. We need headphones and the cone of silence. Folks, that's not going to change. They're going to sit there on Saturday in Vancouver and apply the same that, uh, criteria to whatever is there. Now, the fighters don't like it when I tell them that. You know, they're like, well, what if we just get better judges? And I'm like, okay, you think you think if we just all of a sudden remove those 10 or 12 and put 10 or 12 new ones in there, we're not going to have controversies next weekend? Give me a break. And a perfect Way example worse. is what you said when we go to those other states, those other commissions that don't happen to bring them all, they'll have maybe two that we recognize and one that we don't, or one that we recognize or two that we don't, or God forbid, all three. It's the Wild West at that point. 100%. And I couldn't have said it better. You're doing my job for me now. I, I think the thing is as well, right? MMA, we love comparing MMA to other sports, and I I, I hate it because MMA is completely different to other sports. But the one thing I will do in comparing it is, if you look at any other sport, people learn the rules and work around the rules to benefit them. Like, any sport does it like uh, I'm not the biggest NFL fan in the world now, although I'm wearing the shirt. But I, I, there's a lot more passing yards in NFL these days than there ever was before, wasn't there? Because yes. you can't tackle as much and all of that. So they have utilized the rules to pass more, to be able to be more offensive and all of that because the rules have changed. Whereas in MMA, we're like, everyone makes up their own rules. I'm going to fight this way because that's the way I want to fight. I think that should win. Oh, the judges don't agree with me. Why? Like you, what you should be doing is reading the criteria, looking at the rules, and saying, "Well, if I can do this in that position, and it'll actually score me more than that guy, well, it would not be very smart and a smart way to win the fight." There's one fight I'll give you an example of it. Um, it was um, it was Ryan Shelley and uh, sorry, I, I was getting mixed up. One of the Shelley brothers, anyway, from Chris Fields' gym here in Ireland, fighting Matthew Elliott in the Cage Warrior show, and he got taken down in a few rounds over and over and over and Chris Fields, his coach, had spoken to judges and studied the criteria and he told his fighter when he was on the ground elbow, elbow, elbow hit him when he's on the ground and he did over and over and over and it was a very close fight but he ended up winning it mm-hmm. and why did he end up winning it? He, he probably had um, no, it's a good while ago, so maybe he had 10 minutes of top control, the other fighter, and he ended up losing the fight because he did more damage from the bottom because he read the criteria and realized what was going on why couldn't another fighter do that? Like, if, if you're a good wrestler, a lot of the time now wrestlers are maybe going mad because they're not getting as much uh, uh, of a score for their top control or for their, you know, for their uh, octagon control, if you want to say it, as they maybe once did. But if you added in a few elbows or a few strikes, now it's easier said than done. From It's grand for me to say that here. But, but if we look at it, if that's the way you train and that's the way you actually fight then you're going to win those fights more clearly. Like if you five minutes of, of control and you land 10 or 12 big strikes and up, you're going to win that round every time. It's very, mm-hmm. you know, it's very easy for you to do that. So use the criteria to your advantage rather than ignoring it. And look, if it changes, absolutely. Are there things about the criteria that I would like to change? A hundred percent, without a shadow of a doubt. But there, the, you, you spoke about the 10-10 a minute ago. And, and just to quickly maybe talk about that, because a lot of people say, oh, well, it was a very close round. Why don't we score the 10-10? Um, 
the judges are there to judge, right? We don't want loads of draws in MMA. Now, do I agree with that as as a European who's used to draws, and I'm sure you are as, are as well as a soccer fan? I wouldn't yeah. mind a load of draws. I like I I'd have no problem with that if we want to score more ten tens. But look, it's an American based, uh, an American centric sport. They came up with the rules, and we know American sports don't like draws. That's the the, the fact of the matter, and they don't want draws. That's the criteria we have right now. That is it. They're going to pick a winner in a close round. And they're given the tools to pick that winner with the prioritized criteria. The so the, 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 the biggest line in it, the uh, uh, more impactful shots, right, are the most impactful grappling. So mm-hmm. if we have any, you know, uh, you, you mentioned the, the Aspars and Amiunas, that might be maybe the one outlier. But even that, I spoke to uh, at least one, maybe two of the judges who judged that fight, and they they told me I was very close to going to the second criterion, the octagon control. Right. But I didn't. Yeah. But I but I didn't. So even in a fight like that, the you know, we have the three criteria, the 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 uh uh the effective striking grappling, number one, number two, the effective aggressiveness, and number three, the uh, cage control. They did they did not go to two and three in that fight. In yeah. that and that was the outlier amongst outliers. So if you punch me once and I punch you once, the judge's job is to uh, listen to the punch, look at the punch, see the effect of the punch, and judge which punch landed more and did more impact. And that's mm-hmm. the winner of the round. And the, so the, the, the biggest thing I would change about judging is I would take away effective aggressiveness and octagon control. I would love to take them away because they're never used. Yeah. We literally and they're saw quoted by, a lot too. They're quoted they a, lot quoted too, a lot, especially on social media by coaches mm-hmm. and fighters who will talk yeah. about he he controlled the octagon. I'm like, bro, those that's what Mike Goldberg was telling us 10, 15 years ago when it looked like those four criteria, I think it was four at the time, um, could were almost like a 25% thing. And it's not that way. Effective striking and grappling are very top heavy, you know, and you gotta be uh at a point where you can't decide before you then go down to the next criteria. And a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, they're literally 100%. It's, it's not 25, 25. They're, it's literally 100%. The only reason the other two are there uh, is b- for rounds that end, uh, say if it's the third round of a fight, you're 10 seconds in and there's an accident led button, we have to go to the cards. So they have to score yeah. those 10 seconds. That's why the effective aggressiveness in the octagon control is there, basically. that's the way, and Now, all of this is things the judges have explained to me. This is not me you know, making stuff up or whatever, but that's what they have told me, the judges have told me. I feel like, you know, people always talk about how could we rewrite, rewrite the criteria and change it. I think that's a great way of rewriting it. Take those two parts out and mm-hmm. put like an extra line in. If we go to, uh, you know, a, a decision, um, a technical decision, then we use parts two and three. But the problem with that is people will look at that in the criteria, screenshot it, take out the top line of if we go to a majority decision and say, this is in the criteria. So that's a problem we always have. And as you say, coaches and fighters and, and media and, and stuff quote those lines while quoting them like completely out of context. Because like in the, I'm just looking at here in the last part of the um, effective striking grappling in the criteria, it says this criterion be the deciding factor in the majority of decisions when scoring around. The next two criteria we treat as a backup and only used when it's 100% equal. So, like, literally, it says 100% equal, but it's never 100% equal because the judge's job is to judge the difference. Even if they land the same amount of shots, it's the difference between those shots. And also, as well, just on the cumulative versus the immediately impactful. Yeah, so that was going to be my next question. If you could mm-hmm. go over that and explain, like you did on the show, 
where I think you talked about basically one fighter chopping down another fighter using body shots or uh, uh, I guess strikes that may not look they're, they're, they're taking their toll, you know, uh, but not immediately. So, yeah, if you can take it from there and talk about that, because that that really resonated with me again, words that I read versus what I heard. And folks, you need sometimes you need to hear this over and over. And this is this is why it's great to have another voice right now uh, talk about this because a lot of stuff will sink in, you know, and, and uh, especially I think off of this show. But please, Sean, if you if you don't mind talking about that, sure, no problem. Like, so the, the issue with this is right. Normally, the examples we have are close examples, right? So it's around where one fighter lands 20 strikes and the other guy lands 10 strikes. But those 10 strikes are harder than the 20 strikes, but not by much. You know, there isn't much damage. There isn't, you know, but you can see, you look at it and you, you know, these judges who've judged thousands of fights can see, okay, that guy did more than the other guy. But just for argument's sake here, let's take uh, a, a really a mad example, a big example, right? So let's say uh, Michael Bisping and Dan Henderson are fighting, right? And Michael Bisping does what Michael Bisping does and puts he's a hundred strikes in a round on, and he, you know, he's he's jabbing Dan Henderson, he's leg kicking him, and he's moving around on him, and then with five seconds left in the round, Hindo lands that H bomb and puts him down. Like in the second one, not, not the first fight now necessarily where he knocked him out, but the one in the second fight where it was it was almost as good as the one in the first fight. Doesn't finish him, the round goes to the end. Dan Henderson at 4.55 in that round had taken 100 shots, but was still moving, was still fine, wasn't cut, wasn't bloody, you know, was moving fine. I was losing the round, absolutely. But at the end of the round, five seconds later, Michael Bisping was concussed, caught, almost finished, going back to his corner. Which had more of an impact? That one shot from Dan Henderson or the 100 shots from Michael Bisping? Well, there's no doubt about it. The one shot had more impact. Right. From Hendo, so yeah. that, that is how the criteria is written. If that one shot has more impact than the 100 Michael Bisping shots, then Dan Henderson wins the round. It's as simple as that. Now, it, it, it doesn't often come down to something as massive as that, but that's what we should be looking at. So in a round, say, like uh, like Kyokara France against Amir Albazi. Now, I, I don't necessarily agree with this myself, but let's, let's just take it from the argument of someone who might argue this way. It said the strikes were 27 to 5, which... Round first of all, 4, right? Round 4, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't agree with that because I watched back that round and in the first 45 seconds, Albazi had landed four strikes. So I think it was a little bit closer. But anyway, if you judge those five strikes have landed with more impact in the 27 strikes of Kai Carafrance, you should score that round for Albazi. So people who pull up the, um, the, uh, the, the stats and show them to people, it's pointless. It's pointless. It does not show what actually happened in the round. Now, that round is a little bit different, but I'm just saying that for argument's sake, if that had happened. So that's basically it. And and when I say like the one big massive shot against the hundred smaller ones, it's maybe, you know, that's pretty easy to, to understand. What is more difficult to understand is the effectiveness of 10 shots or the effectiveness of two big shots that mm -hmm. don't knock you down or cut you or badly hurt you versus someone who spams you with like a lot of jabs who you know not great jabs you know not impactful jabs those are the sort of nuances that when i speak to judges they say it's very hard for uh 
them lots of people want you know judges to come out and explain themselves afterwards it's very hard in one line or five minutes or whatever it might be to explain that like it's these judges take uh you know put an awful lot into it and they want to do what's right for the fighters and and their careers and them going forward they don't want to give a wrong decision against them and it feels like if they give a one line explanation or there's a thing going around now you take a box and go that's why i scored from like that's not enough that's not enough for the judge themselves to explain but it's also not an enough explanation for the fighters the ones who really matter in in all of this to actually understand why a judge gave it if a fighter is able to sit down for a judge for 15 or 20 minutes and the judge could explain it i think they'd actually probably take an, a, away an awful lot from that and maybe even bring it forward like i said with, with chris fields the, the the coach from ireland here was able to do that and i think that actually happened after one of his fighters you know was on the, the wrong side of a decision let's say I think that's a big thing. And that's why I come back to education. That's why I come back to the commissions needing to educate people. Because when we do that and we understand that more, then we can understand these decisions a little bit more and the, you know, the hysteria wanes a little bit. And the audience has to be receptive to the education because I think a lot of people think they already know it all. You know what I mean? And truly you don't. Um, you have to read the criteria and then you got to read it over again and again and then apply it to different fights and then listen to different opinions so that it so that it you know so you soak in all of it basically not just page one or whatever you know it's it's great to understand 10 10 rounds and the three d's for example when do we get to the the 10 8 you know we've been trying to get to the 10 8 since like 2016 or 17 a lot quicker using dominance duration or damage except what a lot of people don't know is that sure if two of the three d's are present that's when the judge may consider writing down the 10a it doesn't mean they have to automatically do it and so like going back to like yan and sterling for example round two and three two is a 10-8 but a lot of people thought 10-3 could be a 10-8 and look on fight night you know, we're having beers, we're eating. So as you're watching, you're thinking, yeah, yeah, I think so, you know, but the judges aren't. The judges are there. And another thing you pointed out, they might write down the time and they may notice that the time that Sterling did have control, you know, a body triangle, uh, hooks in or whatever, wasn't as much as round two. And therefore you didn't see it see that 10 8 in round three all those notes all that data is being fed and that's why they interpreted a, a slightly different way but uh i, I shouldn't have just said hands i should have said hands media coaches fighters everybody else <clears throat> because everybody who's not fighting that night is pretty much a fan and but boy do they get loud on social media and boy you know they're they're bearing the sport whether they like it or not when in reality they should be helping to uh, educate each other a little bit more because it's really, really a beautiful sport when it's done correctly by the two participants or if it goes to the judge's decision, the judges do render the decisions. And again, it's not like I haven't seen bad decisions before in my life. Of course I have. But for the most part, I think they're a lot more spot on than people think, the, the, the judges. Yeah, and like that's a major frustration for me. And that's why maybe sometimes, you know, I, I go a little bit overboard on Twitter sometimes with it because it's such a frustration because like I feel like you know reading the, the three pages you have there in front of you a lot of the answers are actually in that but people just don't take the time to have a look at it to mm. you know take away all the madness and hysteria from themselves 
because you know that's that's the way to do it. I, I saw Dan Urban, who's part of the great coach I judges with with Scott Fanana, and he said he started that podcast so he could correct all the decisions that have happened in UFC history. And then when he said he he uh, studied the criteria. It was actually like, wait, he has to actually correct his thinking about those decisions. It wasn't decisions that were wrong. It was the way he was thinking about them. But that's a very hard thing to do. I was the exact same, right? So what, what, what changed it for me was Paddy Pimble versus Julian Rosa and Cage Warriors in 2016, I think it was. And funnily enough, I talked to Paddy Pimblet about that fight um, maybe a month ago. And uh, I asked him, what did he think of it? And he said, well, do you know what? If that fight happened now, I would have lost because the criteria changed. I think it was two months after. And I was like, Hold on, Paddy Pimblet understands it. I was like, oh my God, this is absolutely brilliant. He understands it as well. And that was the fight, because I was like, oh, what a robbery and all of this. And then I got talking to, to Ben Cartledge, who was one of the judges in that fight. And that's where it kind of all started for me. So what is it now? God, it's seven years now I've been <laughs> talking about judging. So it's been a long road. Just one quick point as well, just a quick maybe educational point from the criteria. You mentioned the 3Ds. So uh, damage uh, duration and dominance. That's only when we talk about the 10-8s. People need to remember that because people could look at that and say, oh, dominance should score. So what's dominance? Like if you take someone down and dominate them, that should score when we're looking at uh, who's, you know, maybe winning around 10-9 or whatever. Like That's an Algermaine Sterling, what he's been doing lately, right? Backpacking yeah. people, getting that early takedown. Mm -hmm. So that's not the case. That You only look at the 3Ds when you're... Uh, on the fence between is it a 10-9 or a 10-8 or you know a 10-7 right. after that obviously so we don't take in those 3Ds unless we're talking about a 10-8 or unless we're looking for just as you said uh, if there's two of these yes maybe no uh, maybe yes maybe no if there's all three of these absolutely yes then we have a little bit of nuance as well after that because due to some of Dana White's comments Nevada have actually rolled back the 10-8s a little bit so you have to have overwhelming damage now to get a 10-8 more than you've had in the last uh, what did I say it was six or seven years and you know speaking to Mike Mazzulli he's kind of on board with that as well and he's happy enough to do that and the judges were told about that you see the problem with that when that happened I don't know maybe two years ago at this stage it was all kind of cloak and dagger no one told anyone about it it just started happening and I spoke to a few judges and they told me about it and uh, I did a, I did a video about it, but like uh, it's I said it right, and a few other people I know talked to judges said it, but we didn't hear it from a commission, we didn't hear it from any judges or anything like that. And transparency, transparency is a major issue for them because, like, you know, I'm sure people trust my reporting, but not, they don't necessarily have to trust my reporting, and it's just me, some idiot from Ireland, saying it. Like, it should be the commissions actually saying this. But the, the problem as well is changes like that are slight variations in the criteria they can argue those are still in the criteria at the moment because like we're actually we didn't change anything it's just a, how we think about the criteria has slightly changed the criteria itself hasn't actually changed so again that further nuance i think i did like a 29 minute video of Sherdog on it talking about that one slight change to the 10 8s and that's the sort of large nuance you need but like that's almost impossible it's almost impossible to do to get people to sit down to watch a half an hour video on on me talking about a slight change to the 10 8s it's it's very very hard to do it and again that's part of my frustration with, with all of this but i think it's easier to do say what we're doing today or to read the you know the 3.5 pages of criteria or watch me reading those in 29 minutes or, or whatever it is because that's the sort of thing you you watch that video once and I think you kind of realize, oh, okay, there is a little bit more to this. Mm -hmm. If I watch the next few fights with this in mind, I'm going to watch them a little bit differently. And it's, uh, that's what 
I've been trying to uh, educate myself on by talking to judges over the last few years and it's their opinions that I've kind of put into words on video to get it out there so hopefully people can start watching it like me because the way I watch it is based on what some of the best judges in the world have told me which I've been very lucky to have which a lot of people aren't lucky to have so I'm trying to impart that knowledge out there and that's that's all i'm doing maybe people think it's cocky and i'm a know-it-all and everything but that's really not it i'm literally so just passionate. passing on their information yeah 100 you're passionate about and i recognize yeah. that in that twitter thread it's the same way i feel about rankings the other day angela hill said fuck the rankings and i was like geez you know and i've been doing the rankings for usa today and mma junkie for about a, a decade now i don't miss Every Tuesday, I have to turn those in. So I'm pretty passionate about it. I feel like I have a good, you know, uh, knowledge about it. And so when she said that, I almost felt like she was giving me the two middle fingers. And then as I read through the story, she really more zeroed in on the UFC rankings, which I get it. Most people do because the sport's driven by the UFC. But her complaint was that she would not, she had never cracked the top 10 and she was tired of talking about it, you know. So I happened to do a little uh, deep dive into what – I've been able to produce because I have every single rankings for the last 10 years or whatever. And I found that after she beat Marina Ramos, we ranked her number nine. And I actually saw her at the Cage Warriors show in San Diego, you know. And so I told her, look, I can't smile because I got facial paralysis. I'm joking here, so don't take this serious. I go, but when you said this last week, and we kind of had a little chuckle over it. And I think it made her feel good to know that she at some point had broken uh, into some sort of a, a, a top 10 or whatever. She was really frustrated with it, you know, at the same time. And I didn't tell her this because it just wasn't the right place. Angela has struggled when it comes to the elite of the division. And I think that's why, you know, she'll rack up two or three in a row, but then she'll get checked somewhere along the line. And maybe that's why she hasn't been you know, been able to, to, you know, get into those rankings or whatever. But I'm just as passionate about rankings as you are about judging. And that's what I recognize. And that's why I knew I needed to lean on you to, first of all, for people to go and, and, and hear, you know, your, your uh, podcast, your YouTube channel. And then at the same time, come to our show because we got to put it in front of them, Sean, we got to keep doing this and slowly, but surely, hopefully we can get to a few fans every show, you know, whether it's a few, a few hundred, a few thousand, I don't know and hopefully spark something in them so that they go and print these out or they listen or, or they start doing it, you know? And because I'm telling you, man, social media is poison. At some point in time, everybody will get screwed. And if they go out and tweet and post on Instagram about the robbery that just took place or whatever, then guess what? By in 10 years, you will have heard from every fighter who's been on the receiving end of a split decision that didn't go their way. But as a fan who's, maybe been a fan for 10 years, you're going to think, holy cow, this sport's corrupt. And then you start hearing about match fixing and the system is rigged. That's terrible. We got to get away from stuff like that. A hundred percent. And and like the betting becoming massive in MMA is also a big issue as well, because, you know, how many people actually believe that this guy was robbed and how many people had $20 on him, you know, because, <laughs> if we're watching Man United 
and there's a penalty given against him and we lose 1 0. Well, who are we blaming? We're blaming the referee because we're fans of Man United. It's only not, it's only natural, and I 100% get it. I 100% get it. And as you said, like some people are sitting there, they're having a beer, they're having a chuckle. You know, maybe they're like everyone decides to get behind, you know, Angela Hill over McKinsey Darn, and then McKinsey Darn ends up winning the fight, and they're like, oh, no, she didn't win. Angela Hill won. You know, it, it happens. It absolutely happens. And you jump on Twitter and you go, man. And the problem is, I, I feel like when that happens and when it's like one fighter who people jump on, I feel like everyone jumps on it and the, the nuance then goes and the actual understanding goes and the actual explanation goes like I, I, on the Severe Mail podcast every week, we talk about the fights and if there's this close decision, I go through every single round and give maybe like three or four lines of a little bit of a nuanced explanation on it and say why it could have gone this way or that way. Like, mm-hmm. That's a pretty. That's a pretty easy thing to do. It it takes two minutes to do it, but like almost no one actually does that. When you think about it, they're just like, "Oh, this is a robbery. The judge will need to do this. They need to do that." But like, give us an explanation why it's an actual robbery. I saw a lot of people saying uh, about the, the and the Kai Kara France one isn't. I scored that for Kai Kara France, so it's not like I'm saying you know Albazi won it or anything like that. But it's a funny one because I think most people would say that Albazi could have won the first three rounds with like very little controversy. So he could have won the fight, like if a scorecard for Albazi. The Amato gave him, right? He gave him the first three. Exactly. Yeah, we're yeah, yeah we're calling it a robbery. <laughs> like it's it's bizarre, and I understand people if you think the round you four was, was wrong. Yeah, because of MMA decisions, because it was nineteen to two, and I think that's why people say, "Just see, it's a robbery." But in reality, when I went back and watched it, goes and I, we were watching it together, and we thought, "Wow, these rounds really are close. This is a tough one," because. If the rounds are close and they're left to the interpretation of the judges and they're well-schooled and, and you know, they're pure, I mean, and by that I mean in the sense they're not on the take, then who are we to argue? Because they definitely have a better vantage point. They're more educated. They can hear and see a lot better than us on our couches. We have to trust them. Otherwise, why did we even sit down to begin with? I always tell my friends this when we're watching other sports. If you thought it was rigged, well, get the rigged info then. What are we doing sitting here cheering for 60 minutes or, sorry, three hours when in reality it's rigged and, and we're going to go home disappointed? That's a ridiculous thing to say. It's an ignorant thing to say. I, I don't like it. And um, but, 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 yeah, I mean, the the 19 to 2, I think, had people leaning towards that way. And I, in a way, I kind of understand it, you know what I mean? Because it does seem – very one-sided. It's kind of what I saw on social media as well. Something along the lines of 19 to two ish or whatever, but the rounds really were a lot closer than, than, uh, you know, than, than first yeah. appeared uh, when I, when I first watched it. And really of those, let's just say we grabbed the, let's just say we grabbed, we, I know this is ridiculous, but let's just say some promotion said tonight, we're going to judge according to MMA decisions. We're just going to, cover up and randomly pull out ping pong balls and whoever, however they scored it, that's how we go. But what if they happen to pull out the two that scored it for Albazi, you know, whether it was junkie or severe or, or fighting or whoever, and then one for the other guy, we'd still have the same result, you know? So like, you know, we have to figure out a way to tweak it. And I wanted to run something by you. Um, by the way, I hope to have you back again because I'm writing down notes and there's so much we can talk about this. <laughs> no problem, uh, anytime. We're, we're, we're going to exhaust the hour here. But, okay, in this fight, Sean, explain to me something. Round one, two of the three judges uh, scored the round for Kai Car France. 
Now, I was just at Cage Warriors. I haven't been to a show in a while. A, the pandemic, and then B, goes and I have been stuck doing these watch-alongs at home for the big events, and we just haven't been going out as much, you know? But we were at Cage Warriors in San Diego the other day, and it reminded me, along with what you said on your podcast, um, when the round is over, that judge turns in his score. He's not sitting there. He doesn't have a big scorecard in front of him where he goes, eh, they've been booing. Let me erase this, you know, and, and I'm going to change it to a 10-9 the other way. Or, or No, as soon as they're done, they, they judge it. And in this case, they were handing it to Herb Dean or Jason Herzog, whoever the ref wasn't in the match. And he's immediately going around and turning them in to the scores table. And so, but he, here's what I want to ask you. Round one, two of the three judges gave it to Kai Car France. Round two and three, all three judges gave it to Amir Almazi. Round four, two of the three judges gave it to Kai Car France. And round five, two of the three judges gave it to Kai Car France. But because of the arithmetic, it still worked out that Amir Almazi won. And Goz and I were thinking, um, if they had just, if they scored along the lines of, okay, let's go to the judges after round one. So we'll call it maybe the open scoring. Two of the judges give it to Kai Car France. And we say, okay, Kai Car France is up 10-9 because according to two of the judges, he won that round. He would have won the fight. How is it that that math works out that way, but the other math works out the other way? How do we fix the 10-9? And is that even remotely a close possibility of what I just said? Yeah. You know, when two of the three judges happen to give three of the five rounds to a certain fighter. That's a thing that happens four or five times a year. I'll mention Scott Fontana again. He keeps a, a track of them, and he puts uh, he puts it out towards the end of the year. I'd encourage anyone to, to follow him as well. He does a great job. It, it's it's kind of a weird thing, right? And the reason it happens is we score, as you said, that the 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 score is handed up after each round, mm-hmm. uh, after first round, second round, and we. So it's like five individual fights, right? But it's one fight. Right, so it's five individual rounds, but they're all scored as one round. So if right. we were to score, it'd be like having the best of five fights if we scored it, right? Round one winner, whoever wins that on the three judges is the winner. Round two winner, whoever wins that. And it's like a five-fight series at that stage. But if you're scoring it, and this is a very complicated thing, I have a degree in maths, and even for me, take thinner. if you score the five rounds together, all the scores together, it's more like scoring the fight as a whole, and I would say, I actually haven't really spoken to anyone much about this, but I'd say the argument would be it's more um, conclusive to what actually happened in the fight to score it that way. That would be my explanation of it. And I think the way it goes, it's, look, it's a thing that doesn't happen much. It's, you know, in a thousand fights in a year, it happens four or five times. It's not it's not a big, crazy thing. And it's, it's funny, like, because um, we, we look at that and we look at, you know, people want the fight scored as a whole. Um, and I think Albazi and Guy Garfrance is a funny one because if you're scoring that as a whole, I think Albazi wins that every day because I watch one championship all the time and increasingly the person who does the biggest thing in the fight wins it. Well, round three for Albazi was the only dominant round where he almost got the finish in the end of that round. If we're watching that fight as a whole, now both guys would have fought differently if the fight was fought as a whole, but go with me for a second. Albazi would have won that fight. So I think if people want the solution to score the fight as a whole, that absolutely isn't it. But yeah, I, I, I think that's a, a very good thing to what you picked up on there to, to, to look at it that way. And another thing as well, just on, on a point you made a second ago about sitting cage side, right? And the judges there. And I think a lot of people, there's a, there's a few misnomers, one of which is, you know, they hand up the scores at the end of each round. I was watching PFL last night. And it was funny. 
round one ended, round two started, and they still had the strike stats up from round one. It's like those strikes are gone. That that that's been handed up. We go back to zero and we start again. So that's one <laughs> kind of misnomer I think people don't understand. It's like, why are you showing me strikes that's from a round that's already been scored? It's already been handed up. But I think another thing in the UFC, especially now, this isn't the case for every organization, but the judges have a screen in front of them they can actually watch the fight so if it's on a bad angle or whatever they can actually look at the screen they're watching the same feed we have at home so they have that advantage and one big thing as well that i would always argue and i'm very strong on this point the judges need to be sat cage side because when you're judging on impact which we do to hear and feel and look at those shots up close is massive and i'll give you an example i was at a, a, um, a bellator fight here in ireland uh, it was a good few years ago. Fabian Edwards was was fighting, and he won the uh, fight by a. I think it was a, it was a body kick or a head kick. Actually, funny, I can't even remember now at this age. But I was just coming in from doing another interview. I sat at my uh, desk cage side, and I was you know five ten feet away from the cage, not far behind the judges. And I was uploading the interview, typing or whatever. And next thing I hear, just bang, and it was Fabian Edwards landing that shot, landing that kick, and I could hear that and nearly feel it from being close to cage side. It's a thing that you cannot get at home. It's a thing you cannot get in a boot. It's a thing you cannot get with earphones on watching in an enclosed room. You cannot get it. Right. You have to be sitting cage side to get it. And when the fight is scored, most importantly, on that impact, you have to be there alongside it to get that impact. Have the screen with you, no problem, so you can look at all the angles, but you need to feel that impact as well. And that's something I, I'm very, very strong on. And I know the judges are too, that they, it really helps them to be there. And that's why sometimes, as you mentioned in, earlier on in the podcast, we don't score it the same way at home as the judges do uh, mm-hmm. uh, sitting there alongside it because they see it differently to what we do and not worse. In fact, it's better most of the time and more conducive to what the actual criteria is. I've told a lot of people during our watch-alongs, well, I think this person got the better end of this round, but I have a feeling the judges are going to do this. It's almost like I'm viewing two scores, and it sounds like I'm fence-riding or I'm not, you know, but that's not at all, at all it. It's just that I, I'm trying to connect with the audience and more than likely – what made us jump out of our seat or what we thought maybe was the more important part of the round, which was the end versus I think what the judges are interpreting, you know, especially 10 eights and stuff like that. And it's just very confusing, but I think we can get there eventually by doing more stuff like this between the media collectively talking about it more, getting these rules out there over and over. Um, And, but we need, we need help from, uh, the fighters, coaches themselves, they don't have to tune into our show. It'd be nice if they did, right? And hopefully some of them do uh, or whatever, but at least go out and educate yourself so that you don't go out there and put out bad info just because you were on the wrong end and more than likely because you weren't familiar with the rules. Sean, how many times have you even seen when there's a, a kick to the to the groin or um, some other sort of a this you know controversy right an accidental headbutt even the announcers aren't sure and you can tell they're like the proverbial trying to get through the rules and see you know and maybe mark ratner comes over and says something and it's so confusing and even sometimes the the referees aren't uh, aren't applying that situation in a correct way that kind of confusion is is what can kind of make it look like a little bit of a circus uh, and those setbacks are huge in our sport. We can't have those. We got to be on top of it. 
Yeah, it, it's very weird because like I watch an awful lot of other sports and people pride themselves on knowing everything, you know, and being massively educated uh, on things. And for MMA, it's just, it, it's very different. Like, and, uh, there's probably a reason behind it, you know, because like some of the, especially the fighters, they're the most high level athletes in the world and they know that they can beat the living hell out of anyone they come up to. It's like, how do you know more about fighting than me? Or how, and not even more about fighting. It's like more about any part of fighting than me. And it's very hard, like, to say that. But I always give the example. If Tom Brady said it was 10 points for a touchdown, he wouldn't be right. You know? Mm-hmm. So if if Daniel Cormier or John Jones or Conor McGregor says something about judging and it's incorrect, well, it's incorrect because it's incorrect. Not because they're a great fighter or whatever it might be. So that's another point. You know, it was funny. The commentary, I think commentary, like you, you said you were at a Cage Warriors card the other day and the Cage Warriors here as well. Like Brad Wharton is, is absolutely fantastic on commentary and knows the judging really well. Laura Sanko at the weekend in that Albazi fight, she described the judging so well i've spoken to laura on the phone three or four times for hours on end and you know she really wants to learn and she does that and then it happens on the on the broadcast and it's brilliant that's what we need an hour two hour three hour course is not going to teach you everything you need to know about judging you need to put in work over and over and over and you you know you even say you, you, you it, the rules change now where it's five minutes for an eye poke and a uh, kick to the grind and all of that but that only changed what uh, this year wasn't it so we always had the thing there was an eye poke and they go oh he's and got not five everyone minutes. knew it not no, everyone they, at home knew didn't. it and not all no. the rest know it either you know earlier this year i'm pretty sure it was this year i was watching manchester united when we lost those first two but luckily i caught the announcer say because there was some an aggressive foul or something like that and one of the announcers went out of his way to say that this year the English Premier League decided they're going to allow a little rougher play. You know, they worded it differently or whatever. And that suited me because I knew that now as I was watching, eh, they probably aren't going to call a foul or whatever. But some announcing teams may not do that, you know, but I think it would benefit them to do that um, and explain it not just at the yeah. beginning, but throughout the fight. I don't think it's a bad thing. It's it's very weird. So we, we my my sport here in Ireland hurling, right? There's this thing where you have the ball and you can't throw the ball, but you have to throw it and hit it with your hand like this to hand pass it, right? And it's a it's a massive rule. So this year the referees have been blowing for that all the time. All the time. And we hear it on the commentary all the time. We hear, you know, from the players all the time, the coaches all the time. It's a big talking point. This rule change. It's it's uh they call, what do they call it? Leonard Flow in, in soccer. It's it's a massive thing. You know, people are there's these uh, uh tackles that are not being given and VAR looks at them and you know, now there's problems with that as well. <laughs> you know, there's big problems with that, but at least we have the explanation. And uh the explanation is written. We can go and look at it. And then when something happens, we can say, well, this is it. There's some stupid rules out there. There's a lot more stupid rules in soccer and other sports than there is in MMA. God, by God, but believe me on that. But the knowledge is there. The knowledge is imparted upon the people commentating. And the coaches, like the referees at the start of every year, go to every Premier League um, uh, team. And they actually do like a workshop with them, tell them the rules that have been changing. Now, the, the problem with that is the rules in soccer changing every year they're changing every few months 
the MMA rules never change. <laughs> like there's been a, kind of one change to the 10-8 that they didn't really even change. And it's 2017 before that. Like this criteria has been there for for what is it, six years now. It's it's been there for six years. It really hasn't changed much at all. And uh we're still like baffled by it, and people haven't read it. So I don't know, it's it's six years and uh, is it ever going to be read? Is it ever going to be understood? I'm not too sure. But like, if we changed it and did something different, and people didn't, still didn't read it, and still didn't understand, like, what difference is that going to make? If someone explains to you why they scored around a certain way, and you don't understand the explanation, what good is it them explaining it to you? Like, I, I think the perfect scenario is everyone understands the, the criteria. The judges can explain every single round and tell us why, and we all understand. And we go and we we skip into next week into UFC two at nine, and it'll be all good and well. But we know that's not going to happen. There's and like people feed off of the hysteria. People feed off the madness. They have to talk about something on their podcast. And I was a boring card last week. Amanda Nunes doesn't talk that much. Not that exciting of a card coming up. We need something to talk about. And well, what are we going to talk about? There's a robbery, and it wasn't actually a robbery. And but and then we go on and on and on. You know, and, and that's that's what MMA is, and that's very very frustrating. You know, Israel Adesanya was saying transparency, accountability. I think Ariel said the same stuff. But, um. Okay, so let's say at the end of the fights, I have seen them huddle up with a commission. I don't think they specifically don't talk about a fight, but they do communicate. And I know that the following Monday, there's a big conference call. They all tune in. They iron things out, talk about things, right? But let's just say more specifically in the Albazi Kaikar France fight, Jeff Mullen talks to Chris Lee and says, tell me about round four. Well, then Chris Lee's going to tell him, you know, they're going to watch all five minutes and say, this is, I applied the criteria. This was my opinion. And remember, this is subjective. This is how he interpreted it. What do you think that, do you think that transparency is actually going to do something? Because I think all Jeff Mullen is going to say, well, I talked to him. We watched it. I was satisfied with what he had to say. And that's why Chris Lee will probably be in Vancouver. You know, I'm not sure so much changes. I guess it would be nice almost, but just to appease some people. But I still don't think it's going to change his way of judging. And that's what I'm trying to get people to understand. You better learn how to fight according to these rules. Otherwise, you're you're in for a letdown. You're not going to get half your pay. You're going to lose the momentum of your win streak. It may cost you your job. You may actually decide to retire. Remember a sun sale recently? I don't remember vividly. But I thought he won the fight or there was a good case for it. But because he lost... He dropped them, and I could have sworn he said at the end, had I won, I thought there might be one more, you know, and who knows if in that one he's not on a pay-per-view and and he wins a bonus, his win, his show. Like, so many things can happen, Um, but but I I really can't say it enough to the fighters and coaches, start learning this word for word um, and at least build game plans or talk about how you can possibly win rounds, communication, code words, whatever, in between rounds, because it can make a it can make a huge difference. Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, shadow like I, I I think the transparency thing would be great, but I I think the transparency needs to come before the fights more than after fights. Absolutely, have it after the fights as well. I've I've no problem with that. I've always agreed with that. I've no, you know I've uh, I've never said that that shouldn't be a thing. 
I just think, as you said there, I agree with what you said. I, I don't really see the point of it because we know what they're going to say. Like, I, I, I can tell you, I, I said it on the podcast, right? And then I spoke to one of the, the, the biggest judges in the world after it, and he said exactly what I said in the podcast regarding that fourth round. So if you read the criteria and you look at it, you know exactly why a judge gave it that way. Now, if it's a, a ridiculous one, then mm-hmm. we can absolutely call that out. But, <laughs> like... Jeff Mullen or Mike Mazzulli or, or whoever it might be are not going to send out the judge uh, to talk to the media to, you know, right. as Mike Mazzulli said, they only want to talk to him after a bad round. Um, uh, the Nurmagomedov fight at the weekend, um, Brian Minor was one of the judges. Yeah, he okay. lost, right? He lost yes. uh, uh, Dos Santos. Brilliant judging. Elizio, yeah, yeah, Ezekiel Dos Santos, yeah. That, yeah. He held him against the cage for two and a half rounds, did nothing, and Dos Santos landed the better shots. Brilliant judging, exactly why the criteria. Why is no one talking about that? Why is no one talking about Brian Minor and uh, the, the, uh, Ron McCarthy? I'm pretty sure it was. Two of the best judges in the world. We're never, who's asking them for an interview? Everyone wants an interview with Chris Lee now. But uh, you know what? That's, that's the mindset of the, I'm, and I'm just not me saying that. That's the mindset of the judges. That's the mindset of the commission. All we are putting ourselves up for, if we put people up for interviews, is people shitting on us, basically, and criticism. Mm-hmm. And like, why would you put yourself up for that? Like, really, why would you put yourself up for that? And maybe, you know, the argument is there, they should be. And, and uh, you know, it, it, it's people's lives on the line and everything like this. And absolutely no problem at all. But be consistent on that. Have it every single week, every single decision and all of that and understand everything. And that's kind of my point of view. And just one other thing as well, and something that really grinds my gears on this, like the judge robbed him of 100 grand or whatever it might be. It's the UFC robbed him of the 100 grand. Pay your fighters better. Like if the UFC were paying their fighters the, the amount of money they should be paying them, the, these, the, you, know, you know, we would never have that argument. Good like point. If, if round four had been scored by Chris Lee, to Amir Al-Bazi, then Amir Al-Bazi would have been down 100 grand. And is that fair? Or if it would have been scored, Sky Car France, sorry. Um, Al-Bazi would have lost his money. Is it fair that... Uh, so people want to rob the money from <laughs> Al-Bazi, give it to Sky Car France, and Al-Bazi is robbed of that money. Like, people don't think about that at all. Like, you know, Al-Bazi yeah. would be down the money then. It's like, where... It's, you know, it's just not... as you said that, I was thinking about <laughs> something. If the UFC thinks enough of you, because I think it was both guys' first main event. And if you think enough of them, to ask them, give me two more rounds. We're going to go 25 instead of 15. We think the world of you guys are going to put you on the poster, promote you. You're on ESPN. Well, then guess what? I think at that point you should go, guess what, guys? Your show is all guaranteed. All the money's guaranteed. You're not the win or whatever. We think so much of you. You're close to being title uh, title challengers that we're going to – maybe the UFC should do that. You know, we always talk about what Francis and Ghana uh, wanted to advocate for – Jesus, you know, I think that would be one of the first things I'd say is um, more bonuses. I, I, I like I, I like it when Dana goes, all finishers get a bonus, or we couldn't decide, so we gave him a bonus. I think they sh- if you finish, you should get a bonus. I know Izzy wants more per the four that, that, that win, but I'm saying bonus all of them and get more if you can. But I just thought of something. I think the fighters would have every right to say, you thought so much of me that you wanted to main event me, and you asked me for – Two more rounds, at least guarantee my money. And then if I'm not the main event in the next fight, okay, I get it. Maybe we'll go back to that. But they should put something in the contract that if we arrive at that, I think that would be a great way of rewarding those fighters, don't you? And I know we're getting in the fighter play here where we're supposed to be talking about judging, but it just occurred to me as you were saying that. 
We should because money is at the heart of everything. We know that, and fighter pay should be at the heart of that, especially when people are using that as a stick to beat the judges with. Like we bring it back to Man United again for a second. If Man United win one nil or lose one nil, David De Gea is still getting his two hundred and fifty grand a week. If we if we qualify yeah. for the Champions League, maybe okay, maybe he'll be on three hundred grand next year if we qualify the Champions League. There is an incentive to win, like. You know, there's an incentive, the, the bonus or whatever. I saw someone talking yesterday. Maybe it should be 75-25, the win show or something like yeah. that. It'd be an improvement. It'd be an improvement. Mm -hmm. we're, we're looking at the wrong place because, like, I, I, it's the most illogical thing of all time to say a judge scoring the fight one way has robbed the fighter when both fighters are on sh at the show and win model. It's completely and utterly loopy. It's like well, the people, if you thought about it for five seconds, you would think, oh, well, one of the fighters is going to be losing out in his van. So are you saying even if it's even if it's 50 45 and the one guy gets destroyed, does he not deserve that money anyway? He's been in the fight, he's taken all those shots, he's put his body on the line. These guys mm -hmm. deserve that money. You know, people are always talking about fighter first. It absolutely should be fighter first, and the amount of pay they get shouldn't be reliant on uh, the, the the score at the end, like every other sport. But I don't know. As, as you said, that's a, that's another argument, maybe for another day. Israel killed killed his uh, case for he can do our job, but we can't do his because just because you do a YouTube channel, which, by the way, I really do enjoy. It doesn't mean that you can cover the sport. Um, you know, as you were talking, so many things going through my head. But just this week, uh, this week and our last Roma and Seville had a game where the referees were threatened, I believe, at the airport, at the stadium. And our sport is a worldwide sport with a lot of passion and a lot of controversy. And yet another reason, I think, to clean things up is for that type of environment not to be created. You know what I mean? Um, there has to be a little bit more respect for those judges and referees that make, you know, split-second decisions. Um, God, I, 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 I told Goes I'd rather be a judge than a referee. I, I, I think they you know, whether they want to jump in there or not, or whether they do it before that, boom, that hammer hits that really puts someone's lights out, you know, that one would be a little bit more stressful for me. But, yeah, I, I don't want it to get to the road of, I, I think it was Anthony Taylor was his name, uh, trying to board a plane and him and his significant other, you know, they're getting things get thrown at them, and that was crazy to me. Insane. Like, no, in fairness, MMA is... <laughs> I think MMA is a little bit better because they know if you do that to Mark Goddard or Keith Peterson, they'll probably beat the absolute piss <laughs> out of you. So they're not mm -hmm. gonna. I don't think they're they're gonna do that to them. But like, uh, 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 judges get death threats all the time. You know, I I have been sent loads of them, like really nasty bad stuff. I know one judge, and it hasn't come out yet, but maybe it will over the next while. One of the top twenty judges in the world maybe has walked away from it in the last six months. Uh, just like I'm not doing this anymore. I was talking to a judge the other day. They said if they put all the hours they've put into judging um, together over the last year and put it out, the amount of pay they've got by a, a, an hour, they've got something like $10 an hour in pay. It's like <laughs> these guys are not getting paid big money. And this is one of the top judges in the world. You know, wow. they're, they're getting it's thankless it's for almost no pay you're away from your family for the weekend and like the, the people are probably saying like oh well, who cares these people are human too they're like yeah. without them we couldn't have the fights without without them we couldn't do it it's like saying oh we get someone else to do it but those people haven't put in the thousand fights to get there to where they can call the difference between one shot and another shot better than anyone else in the world yeah. and it's 
we ha- like we have to start looking at it in a different way i think because if we keep looking at these judges as just inhuman robots sitting there in the back with you know earphones on and they need to get every single thing down to a hairline correct it's it's illogical we're not we're never going to get that what we can get though is people who have done it so many times that they're able to get it right almost every time via this criteria and that's i think that's the biggest frustration for the judges right because they are getting it right almost every time via the criteria but people okay people don't like the criteria that's fair enough but the judges can't go out and judge under their own criteria you know what happens then what happens then is we get douglas crosby and (laughs) we got what we get so i don't know it's i don't know what people are hoping for here but it's for me it certainly wouldn't be that so yeah you know if you think about it at the end of a soccer match most of the time the referees will stand there and they will actually handshake with most of the players on the pitch now granted sometimes there'll be a disagreement heated words or whatever but most of the time the match is over let's be men or women we shake hands uh, same thing with the coaches and all that. And MMA, the judges don't get that one moment of an atta boy. And I'm not saying they're asking for it, but again, if you're constantly saying that's a bad person, you know, I, I think his words, Israel's, where he needs to be expired or something like that. That's that's pushing it. And that's disgusting, you, know, it, you, you can't do that in another sport without getting mm-hmm. admonished. Uh, uh, and in this sport, obviously, it's you know. Say what you want, do what you want, act how you want. Apparently, uh, and I'm and I'm a believer in, in in rights, you know. But but at the same time, you gotta watch yourself, you know, because again, a worldwide passionate sport, different countries, different backgrounds. You saw what happened in Habib versus Connor. I would have never imagined that, you know. But that thing got out of control quickly. You know, Dana didn't even want to put the belt around Habib because he knew this thing could turn into. Um, Galata versus I forget who it was Bo or somebody that I don't remember that boxing match yeah. where chairs were flying and mm-hmm. we don't need to get to that event to learn from things uh, you know like this uh, Sean thank you so much for, for popping on I'm sorry we went over the hour um, I'd love to talk to you again and maybe even more frequently but any final words about this topic and then please I have your info here you know at Sean Sheehan BA for Twitter, the Severe MMA Pod, the Sheehan Show. But please, anything that I, that uh, you want to point people towards, please uh, do that for us, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, that I appreciate, and I think look, a point to this podcast really. You know, you know, chats like this, I think, really help. And you know, when I was on with John Anik or Bronstadter as well, but yeah, I, I think look, the Severe MMA Podcast every week we talk about it. If you're looking for judging, that's. I think that's the the place to go and we you know we usually start out every podcast and and discuss it and like if you want just normal you know logical trying to actually figure things out rather than you know the the hubbub and the madness that we get every week i suppose that's uh that's the place to go so um yeah it's uh it's a thing that it's not going to be solved in you know uh, an hour or a, a day or a week it's the thing that you kind of have to change your thinking and decide and go forward thinking that way and um you know it's that's hard it's, it's very very hard to do and be, maybe some people don't even want to do that and i i 100 appreciate that but if you do uh i am definitely here to help and uh, i appreciate you for having me on it uh, thank you very much for uh for doing it and uh all the lads over in, uh, in my junkie i've always been a big fan nolan king and, and uh, all the lads as well so i appreciate uh, having you on the having me on this big platform and uh, it's very very good to uh, chat with you today thank you sir 
Uh, I hope we have a good transfer season now that the that the the campaign is over. It sucks because when we got that penalty, I thought, man, maybe we can steal one here. You know, obviously they were the better team and they were more, yeah, very cool. They were um the more talented team, you know, from top to bottom. But in football, anything can happen. And when we got that penalty, I just thought, man, if we can nick one of those. And then all of a sudden, you know, the players rise a little bit. God, it would have been nice. And now we got to hope Inter Milan spoils the party. Otherwise, they'll match what we did in 1999. Yeah, they will. But I, you know, I, I tweeted, it doesn't feel real with Man City. It's just, you know, they're who they're owned by and the way they do it. I just feel, and, you know, the, the sad thing about it is I like them. You know, they're they're just, they're so good and they're, they're just like they're almost unbeatable, which I've always liked. You know, I've always been a fan back in the day of the likes of Michael Schumacher and you know Floyd Mayweather, you know people who can just dominate. And Dimitri Johnson, they can be the best and unflappable. And it's kind of sad that I I do like them, but it also it just if Liverpool were beating us, it'd be so much worse. Or if Arsenal were beating us or whatever, be, but I just and it, it's easy for me to say maybe not being in Manchester, but it, it just. Man City just they don't feel like a real team and like I, I kind of I think it's when you know you're going to lose as well <laughs> like in the game last Saturday it doesn't feel as bad but yeah like we could have won it was funny it was it was like a judging criteria game because they had all the possession uh, for the mm-hmm. whole game and they only had a few shots like Man United could have drawn or, or won that game now we didn't have many shots either but yeah and we and we did get a kind of a lucky penalty as well, as well at the same time but yeah look hopefully Hopefully we're better next year. We need to sign a striker. And we will be because we'll get yeah. another preseason and we're going to get uh, more of an Eric Ten Hag type of player that he can work with. He, he you know, this is a, you're, you're dealt a hand when you become the new manager. And I think we, we got rid of like eight, you know, what well, we consider big names at one point, whether it's Ronaldo Cavani, Mata, you know, and some went on our loan, some were just done. We brought in, I think, five new guys. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. But yeah, we I think another fresh crop will be really, really nice. And I think them playing together under the same system for a second year, it should work out nicely. And I expect us to hopefully contend next year. Although you just never know because the city's a machine. Yeah. The thing about a city is they've changed the baseline for greatness because if you can't win all but five games in the season, you've no hope. <laughs> it's it's almost impossible. So Man United they don't have to get better. They have to get great. And it's, yeah. it's an, it's well, think an about how great mark. Arsenal was. Arsenal was yeah. amazing, you know, through like March, I believe. And then the way they bottled it was mind blowing, but they looked like they were so far ahead. I think they had only lost one game, like through January or February, maybe a second game through March. And then all of a sudden just fell off the cliff. Yeah, the, the problem with teams like that, and like it could be a problem for Man United. And hopefully, it's a problem for Man United next year. If we're, hopefully, we're in that position. But it's like Man City getting this role, and they win 9, 10, 11, 12 games yeah. in a row, and you drop one game, and suddenly the pressure is on. And then the second one comes, and you know, it, the problem for Arsenal as well this year is with 15 games to go. It felt like every game was a cup final. It's like, oh, yes, massive win, massive win. You can't keep doing that. There's no way you can rise and peak 15 weeks in a row. It's just, it's absolutely impossible. And that's kind of, see, the, the thing with City have is they dominate games. They have it won after 55 minutes, and then they can kind of rest. Like, Arsenal winning games in the 90 minute. Like, if Man United, if Man United wants to get to that level, they're going to have to do that as well, because there's no way you can compete. And as you say, like, 
we need more Tin Hag players. We need players who are going to be successful in that system. And we need players who are going to make his system actually more usable. Because it feels like this year, he actually wasn't able to use his system because he didn't have the players to do it. You know, he got right. Christian Eriksen. And but after Christian Eriksen got his injury, he hasn't been the same. Oh, yeah. You know, Casemiro was Long banned season. for like nine games. He played yeah, a lot of games, yeah. We don't, we don't really have a striker. It's, yeah, it's... It's mad. There's a lot. There's a lot. Like if you're looking at it really, it's probably another two years before we should be contending. But probably. if we get a new owner, if we get a new owner and they put in 250, 300 million, maybe, maybe we could do it this season. But yeah, the, the prices they're one. Chelsea won 70 million for Mason Mount. I'm like, okay, so that's the price Man United are getting charged for players. Uh, it's it's going to be a long transfer window again, <laughs> as it always seems to be with Man United. It sure is. All right, Sean. So we'll do this again. We'll chat a bunch about a bunch of stuff, and then I'm going to go listen to it. And I wrote down some stuff we didn't get to that I'd love to have you back. And folks, again on Twitter at Sean Sheehan BA, uh, start there, give him a follow, and then go to his YouTube channel, subscribe, check out some of those videos. But going back to Twitter, it is pinned right at the top the link to the specific show that we talked about MMA judging criteria explained. You really, really will like it. And Sean does a great job of explaining it with whatever you know, along with whatever he recites back to you. I'm telling you, you will become more educated going into the fights this weekend. Thank you, Sean, we, uh, for your appearance. We'll talk to you soon, mate. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, go. So what did you think? Cool cat. Make some good points. You know? Yeah. All Looks right. at things a little different than I think everyone else. Yeah, I mean, keep the black and white. You know, and we look, we weren't trying to be white knights for the judges. We were just trying to say, learn a little bit more about what the criteria is before you go running the Twitter all upset. Because what we've noticed is that one week, a lot of people say one thing, and another week, a lot of people, those same people say another thing. Like, there does seem to be a little inconsistency. Whereas what's not inconsistent is the judges just judge in a certain way. And like we explained, damage is at the forefront or trying to create damage or defense. Forget about defense. Sorry, offense, 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 whatever, you're, whether you're on the ground or something, create offense. Defense just doesn't get it. Just, just doesn't get it done. But anyway, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Shout out to Gabe for facilitating the long show for us here. And we're out of here. Enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you next Monday. Go out and be a champion. Take care.